This is the Matt Townsend Show. Your guide on the side. Follow Dr. Matt on Twitter at Dr. Matt Show. Call the show at 1-855-CHAT-BYU. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt Townsend. Now on BYU Radio. BYU Radio. Good morning, everybody. Welcome to the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt here, your life coach, your guide on the side. The goal of the program to give you the information, the tools you need to live a healthier, happier lives and, uh, you know, make the most of the time you got here on this crazy thing we call Earth. Welcome to the program. It's Friday. Oh, it's Friday. And, uh, man, a lot of stuff coming out. Uh, the Brexit vote, we got to talk about that. The U.K. has voted to exit the EU. It's a big deal. Cameron, the Prime Minister Cameron, is uh, looks like he's set to quit as well. So, um, man, market's plunging. Things are happening what does it all mean to us here in the United States? We'll be talking about that. We'll also get uh, some of the quotes from Donald Trump, who's over in Scotland, uh, Scotland, and he's uh, he's pitching and, and talking and working one of his golf courses over there. We'll hear his uh, remarks about Brexit, as well as we'll hear from David Cameron, the prime minister, get to that information. Also coming up on the show today, we'll be talking with Dr. Wendy Patrick, and uh, we had a great interview with her talking about what you know? What it takes when you're running um, to to actually be elected, and you know, is there an advantage to being a female for Hillary Clinton in this election and Donald Trump? What are the kind of behind the scenes, the tricks of the trade, and what you have to do to uh, to make it through this political process? She's going to give us some insight into that as a as an analyst, a political analyst. So we'll be talking with her. Uh, plus a lot of, you know, just fun, interesting topics coming up today. We will we'll be touching a bunch of different issues, including how to manage and, and, and handle your money a little bit better. Of course, we were, we've, got a, we've got a new uh, game we're going to be playing called, um, what do we call it? Uh, the Radio Rorschach Test. It's kind of like the ink blots test, but we're going to be using, instead of ink and paper, we will be using sounds because it's the radio. We'll be doing that later today. Got a ton for you, uh, plus just setting you up for a great weekend. But first, let's get to the headlines around the rest of the country. Caitlin, what's going on around the country? Good morning, Matt. So big news today. Donald Trump is in the United Kingdom, and given his perspective on its vote to exit the European Union, he said you can't unite a country by forcing things down people's throats, and that's what happened here. He said at a press conference in Scotland, the presumptive Republican nominee is in Scotland for the reopening of his Trump Turnberry golf course. Speaking from the club, he said what's happening is historic. They'll end up being stronger for it. Um, He told reporters earlier that day that, quote, they took back their country. It's a great thing, and people are angry all over the world. President Obama lamented the Supreme Court's Thursday ruling on immigration as, quote, unfortunate, frustrating, and heartbreaking. During a speech following the announcement of the court's 4-4 to deadlock, the tide vote over Obama's executive action to suspend immigrant deportations essentially blocks the effort, which, Obama said, sets the system back further. Obama called the split vote yet another reminder of why it's so important for the Supreme Court to have a full bench. The Baltimore police officer who drove the van in which Freddie Gray sustained a fatal spinal injury in April 2015 was acquitted of second-degree murder on Thursday. Caesar Goodson, 46, joins two other officers who have been tried over Gray's death. One of those cases ended in in an acquittal as well, the other in a hung jury. Led Zeppelin is not guilty of copyright infringement in the opening of its legendary song, Stairway to Heaven, a Los Angeles jury has decided. The band has been accused of stealing the song's song's introductory riffs from the band Spirits' Taurus in a lawsuit brought by the Trust for Randy Wolf, the late late writer of Taurus. 
And lastly, Matt and LeBron James is celebrating his NBA championship win by not playing in the Rio Olympics. His agent, Rich Paul, told the Associated Press, James let USA Basketball know on Thursday that he decided not to take part in the games this year. He's played in three consecutive Olympics, winning gold in 2008 and 2012. James isn't the only high-profile player skipping this year's Olympics. Stephen Curry, Blake Griffin, James Harden, Russell Westbrook, John Wall, Anthony Davis, and LaMarcus Aldridge also won't be participating. Wow. I know. If they need, if they need, I'll play. Just, I'll play. I mean, I'm here. It's what I do. I don't know why they don't want me to play. Put me in, coach. I would say the lack of skill. Oh, my heavens. You've never seen me play. I've got game. I got game. My crossover, I break more ankles. Mainly your own. Yeah, but not that. Just because of the brutal Nobody asks whose ankles they are. (laughs) <laughs> My crossover even fakes me out. Mm. Hey, uh, this Brexit thing, you know, finally, Brexit, it's happened. Scott to go. Scotland's out. They didn't want to go, though. Yeah. Scotland <laughs> voted 63% to 30-something that yeah. they wanted to stay. That's kind of embarrassing for Donald because he's... Yeah. He was in Scotland. He's like, yeah, people, you know, they were ready to go, ready to. Well, he specifically said in a tweet, he goes, people in this land wanted to, wanted to go. And the specific land he was in, no, they didn't. Yeah. It's got to go. Sorry. I like that better than Brexit. It's got to go? It's got to go. Yeah, but it's only for one country. Now now there's uh, politicians in Germany and France that are kind of hitting the yeah. drumbeat to, yeah. get, to have yep. a vote to get out. and. This is it's a huge deal. In fact, uh, let's hear uh, David Cameron, um, the prime minister's view of of the whole Brexit. Um, I don't know if he'd he'd call it probably a fiasco. The British people have voted to leave the European Union and their will must be respected. I want to thank everyone who took part in the campaign on my side of the argument, including all those who put put aside party differences to speak in what they believed was the national interest. And let me congratulate all those who took part in the Leave campaign for the spirited and passionate case that they made. I mean, this is huge. This, and and what does it portend for the United States? Does this this mean kind of Trump's anti or kind of nationalistic view that we need to shut down the borders, tighten up the, the belts of the country and just protect our own is this going to like is this part of what's happening here many, many comparisons against leave and make america great again oh yeah and plus the hair of both leaders both guys that are kind of the people in front of those campaigns right kind of similar hairdos um <laughs> it's interesting i would what's his is it was his name his name's not boris is it uh the, the guy in london uh, johnson is it john um i forget he's the yeah. former mayor of yeah. london and he has the kind of Trump-like hair. His father <laughs> is on the other side of the issue. Oh, really? Oh, he family wanted, divided. So it's family divided, but the father, <laughs> same hair. Oh, really? Yeah. Well, see, that that's different because I haven't seen Donald's father's hair. I don't know if it looks like Donald. I don't know. Uh, but many, many British politicians have been uh, decrying the Trumpification mm. of British politics. But what it is, is it's protect... All of a sudden, you're a member of the EU, and then Germany says they're going to bring in millions of Syrian refugees. And in the EU, you can cross borders and go anywhere you want to mm-hmm. go. And so that's... I well, mean, then the EU kind of pivots and looks over at Great Britain like, come on, people. Why aren't you pulling your weight? Right. And they're like, because we don't want to. That's right. Well, <laughs> another thing is just the, the financial status. So the United States recovery, I think we had like 
I can't remember the numbers, but it was like we had 10 percent uh, growth um, in our in our economy. I think mm-hmm. Britain, Great Britain had like 7.5 percent growth, but the EU zone as a whole had like 1 percent growth. So Britain's like, we got to get out of here. These people are sinking. This is down. a sinking ship and yeah. we're the only ones financing it. And so that's another reason why they did it. But the pound is uh, dropping, crashing. I mean, it's scary. Here's here's David Cameron's view on Britain's economy. Is it still strong? Across the world, people have been watching the choice that Britain has made. I would reassure those markets and investors that Britain's economy is fundamentally strong. And I would also reassure Brits living in European countries and European citizens living here that there will be no immediate changes in your circumstances. There will be no initial change in the way our people can travel, in the way our goods can move, or the way our services can be sold. Hmm. Have you seen where they hold these press conferences? Right outside the official yeah, right residence? On, yeah, the 10 Downing Street or whatever. Yeah, it's in like an alleyway. No, it's an alley, yeah. I, I've, I've seen it. It's pretty neat. He has like, just like, there's a one step. There's yeah. no like porch area. And then, you know, we have a the White House and, yeah. you know, there's all this area where you can have one of these sort of his, events. His, his front is, door is in an alleyway. It's quite a street. Literally. Yeah. yeah, you step out, you're in the road. Just kind of an interesting uh, it's a, setting uh, for all this. And it's like cobblestone or whatever. Yeah. Um, also, by the way, so Cameron politically was way exposed on this thing and now is apparently done, stepping down. It was a referendum on him on, on some levels, too. Uh, here's his, here's his, uh, what he's, Cameron is saying about stepping down. I will do everything I can as prime minister to steady the ship over the coming weeks and months. But I do not think it would be right for me to try to be the captain that steers our country to its next destination. This is not a decision I've taken lightly, but I do believe it's in the national interest to have a period of stability and then the new leadership required. Wow. His party doesn't believe he's conservative enough. Yeah. And so he thinks if we're going this direction, I was so against it, it's time to move on. Let's get another leader in here to steer the ship. Um, Meanwhile, the leader of a similar movement in the U.S. on Scotland soil, <laughs> I guess I guess when he opened talking about it, he didn't open his conversation. Trump didn't on Brexit. He, he opened it on his golf. Well, he's there to open right. and to kind of oversee this uh, Turnberry, a golf course he owns in Scotland. Yeah. And it just happens. This is, well, it doesn't well, just happen, but this is going on. Yeah. And uh, he – I don't know if he – he has had quotes in the past few weeks where they the the reporter would say, "What do you think about Brexit?" And he would say, "What? Who? Like Brexit. never matter. Never What's matter." That? He goes, "The the referendum on leaving the EU for for England." He goes, "Oh, I think they should leave." Yeah, I really but, think that's a good idea. Then he goes, "I haven't really studied it much, so don't take my opinion on this, but I think they should leave." So he's got this. He's got uh, this country. That's or uh, he was in Scotland. He's got this. um, He's got Great Britain riveted, wanting to hear what Donald Trump is going to say about one of the biggest events in many, 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 many years. 
and he instead opens up talking about his golf course. <laughs> goes, it's a great day, historic day for the golf course and, well, for the country. <laughs> the CNN contributor John Avalon said, this is insane. The presumptive Republican nominee has the world watching on a historic day, and he is doing a five-minute advertorial for his golf course <laughs> in should, great detail. You should see the hotel. It's wonderful here. <laughs> Holy cow. They have the nicest robes. Their robes are so warm and comfy. Anyway, what do you do? That's So that's the guy that will be uh, leading a similar type of kind of nationalist movement here in the United States. Here's Trump's quote uh, or comment on Brexit and taking your country back. Uh, we'll see what happens. I think it'll be a good thing. Uh, you're taking your country back. You're going to let people that you want into your country and people that you don't want or people that you don't think are going to be appropriate for your country or good for your country, you're not going to have to take. And, you know, look, Europe, like the United States, has made tremendous mistakes over the last period of time. You look at Germany, you look at some of the things that are happening. There have been tremendous mistakes that have been made. So, Wow. Um, did, w- was Donald in a bottle? No, ABC News had bad audio. Is that what it was? Because yeah. it reminded me of yesterday when that we had that audio from that girl that was caught in a Barney dinosaur head. Right. Similar, yeah. Sounded just like he wasn't wearing a dinosaur head, was he? No. Okay, good. That would be horrible. Um, Trump also had some comments about uh, Obama embarrassed. Uh, perhaps that's what caused it to fail. I mean, he's embarrassed by the Supreme Court decision yesterday, which was a real rebuke. And he's very embarrassed by he got involved. I don't know if that was through a friendship with David Cameron. It could have been. And I understand friendship. And I can understand why he did it. I can't understand that. But I think it's something he shouldn't have done. It's not his country. It's not his part of the world. He shouldn't have done it. And I actually think that his recommendation perhaps caused it to fail. He's been doing that lately. Yeah, perhaps. You, you, you take your international event and you blame either Hillary or Obama for it. Right. Zika? And he says the only, only, Hillary. The only reason that Hillary Clinton supported the, you know, for the UK to stay in was because President Obama... Supported it. Supported it. She doesn't think for herself. Is the kind of the message he keeps putting out. Now, as you're running against somebody, that's a good message to put out. Oh, sure. Yeah. <laughs> that, I mean, that's a great message. Until, you know, global warming. Uh, have you ever heard of the Clinton Global Initiative? Right. Obviously. There's Clinton a global there, initiative. There's a slope and it may be slippery. <laughs> um, and this may not be over. What? Um the EU referendum rules triggering a second EU referendum petition. Redo. That's, Redo. That's out there. It's in the parliament. It's at petition.parliament.uk. The website's been down most of the morning. They can't keep up with the flow of traffic to it. This is from the Independent over there in the UK. It says the petition requests that the uh, Her Majesty's government to implement a rule that if the remain or leave vote is less than 60% based on a turnout less than 75%, there should be another referendum. The Guardian turnout for the vote was about 72%. So that's under the 75%. Right. Mm. And the leave captured 52% of the vote. So nobody got 60% or more. So petitions that hit 100,000 signatures must be addressed by Parliament after several tries. They're... uh, We'll see what happens. It's wow. up to 104,000 uh, signatures, so possibly they could try to do this all Let's again. Let's not do that. Because I'm they didn't hit any of these of thresholds of uh, 
voter turnout. I mean, the big deal is, is this going to cause other, like Germany, other large uh, EU members to bolt? I mean, again, you need the rich to support the the more troubled countries in the EU. So The Daily Mail is suggesting that uh, Google searches for what is Brexit <laughs> spiked in the UK yesterday afternoon. Oh, good. So... They're right like, before they voted. Did we have an electorate that knew what was going on? So what's this Brexit thing? Uh, <laughs> the numbers, they say uh, – so let's say Google reported a 250% spike in searches for the phrase before uh, 5.30 in the morning. Wow. So on the day of voting, people were like, hmm, maybe I should pay attention to this. Oh, my heavens. I wonder if anyone named their child Brexit. Google Trends recorded a spike in the number of people asking, what happens if we leave the EU after the polls closed? (laughs) Uh, Well, you know what? That's welcome to, I guess, democracy. I don't know if they have a democracy, but welcome because it's not everyone's informed. Boy, that's scary. Hey, coming up, we got a great guest. Wendy Patrick will be joining us. She is a lawyer. And um, a writer, a columnist with Psychology Today, sits on the board of directors of the California District Attorneys Association. And she's going to be talking to us about, you know, communicating and, and kind of trying to become um, human and be humanized as a politician. We tend to demonize our politicians. And uh, she's got some interesting insight about uh, the job and uh, how you win the role of uh, as a candidate Is humanizing helpful, and does it help to be a female? We'll be talking with Dr. Wendy Patrick. Stick with us. When it comes to politics, uh, man, there's so many ways to win the game. Stick with us. This is the Matt Townsend Show. We'll be right back. Welcome back, everybody, to the Matt Townsend Show. You know, both Hillary Clinton and Donald Trump face difficulties with their view in the public eye. Both candidates are strategizing in a way to appeal to the general public, uh, and both are using their own kind of unique approaches. However, Dr. Wendy Patrick, uh, she's an attorney and a political analyst. She claims that in order to win over the public, these presidential candidates will need to play the human card. Dr. Patrick joins us now by telephone. Good morning, Dr. Patrick. Thank you so much for being with us today. Good morning. Thank you for having me. This, uh, I love your articles. You're, you're a, an author and a writer um, on Psychology Today, and uh, I, we've been reading a bunch of your work. When you say that Donald and Hillary need to uh, kind of approach the rest of us, you know, using basically the, the human strength, the human factor, what do you mean by that? What do you mean by them going, turning back into humans? <laughs> back into humans. I, I know. the way you phrase that, Matt. <laughs> so, you know, we, we talk about which cards that politicians play. And you remember Hillary is always accused of playing the gender card. Right. Um, you know, uh, depending on whatever group someone belongs to, we, we accuse politicians of pandering to that particular group. But when it really comes down to it, when you look at what appeals to voters and what we think about when we go to the ballot box, we want a candidate that we can identify with. We want a candidate who's like us. We want to be comfortable with those that we elect to govern our country and keep us safe. So when it really comes down to it, uh, politicians really should look at how can I appeal to the general public? How can I appeal as a human being? Because we've all got that in common, right? One race, the human race. 
So you saw Hillary do that a little bit when she began her campaign. I'll give you some specific points yeah, because please. it's interesting. Remember when she began in what she referred to as the Scooby-Doo van going to Iowa? She stopped at that Chipotle, mm-hmm. and the news cameras went crazy <laughs> covering her standing in line and, you know, what she ordered and all of the rest, of course, be better she didn't have the dark glasses on. But it was an attempt to, to connect with voters on a very human level. Because let's face it, most of us cannot connect with Hillary Clinton's lifestyle. I mean, right. she's been in politics almost her whole career. So now let's talk about Donald Trump. How does he do it? Now, we also cannot really relate <laughs> to his lifestyle, right? Penthouse on top of Trump Towers in Manhattan, billionaire businessman. But we can relate as a human being to some of his rhetoric, not the fiery rhetoric that gets him into trouble. But some of the very common rhetoric he uses that appeals to our desire to be safe, mm. to want to protect each other from terrorist attacks, to want to create jobs. Boy, who doesn't want more of that? Right. So there are lots of ways in which both of these candidates, both frontrunners, can really make an effort to connect with voters as human beings, not necessarily as members of any particular uh, class one way or another. And it seems like they have these professionals surrounding them. And everything they're doing is scripted. And so even when she goes to Chipotle, the story ends up being that she didn't tip or something. So it was like, <laughs> you're a tipper. <laughs> but I guess it, well, there's a lot of people that can relate to that. Oh, too, totally. Like who, I mean, who tips anymore anyway? Um, <laughs> right. but, or like, you're supposed to tip at Chipotle? Oh. <laughs> but one of the things, like Donald even, um, he does. There's so, so there's something that they're they're both kind of drawing in. But there's also certain things about these people that they just don't – people don't trust. So it's almost like they are human, but they don't play human, right? Like it's – maybe they're they're too handled. I don't know. Donald's actually – it seems more kind of just off the top of his head, and Hillary seems like she can't ad lib. That's right. So is it temperament or is it judgment? Yeah. Who has uh, who has both? A couple of comments you made, Matt, that I want to pick up on. Excellent observations. The one thing that distinguishes, well, many things, but one of the things that distinguishes the candidates' speeches from each other is some view Trump as having this, you mentioned off the cuff. It's true. It's, it's a measure of authenticity in being willing to say the things that many Americans are thinking but know that it's not politically correct to say. When it comes to transparency, some believe, you know, Donald will tell you what, what he thinks, whether you agree with it or not. But Hillary sometimes has a tougher time convincing voters that she's transparent. Yeah. We've seen that, obviously. You know, you talk about her email, some of the positions she's taken over time. So, you know, but, but which is worse? And yet, right. this is not an unpopularity contest. I don't want to go that far. But let's just say you've got to decide whether you want somebody that is very measured, very scripted, very reliable, if you want to call it that, which would be more characteristics that Hillary Clinton possesses, rather than somebody who is off the cuff to the extent that he's unpredictable and perhaps speaks without thinking. Mm. Because remember, Donald Trump is always Twitter bombing. And sometimes he is tweeting things that are in the moment, that are very passionate, very emotional, often very enthusiastic, but turn out to be debunked. 
Mm -hmm. So maybe somebody would say, hey, you know, take the guy's phone away from him until he can at least verify the information. He's very, from the heart, very authentic, but let's make sure he is correct. And that's, of course, where a good team of advisors can come in. Now, having said all of that, we, you mentioned the word scripted. Now, Trump's for the very first time apparently read off a teleprompter right. um, last Tuesday night. Many of his supporters didn't like the scripting. They were calling him teleprompter Trump as a derogatory right. because they found his off-the-cuffness refreshing. On the other hand, because he has spoken so many times without thinking, he's gotten himself into trouble, right? It's almost right. a daily gaffe. Mm-hmm. Some of his supporters have to sort of dial back. He dials back the rhetoric sometimes on occasion as well. So he really benefits to some extent from not being scripted. Yeah, he. it's interesting, too, kind of the establishment GOP, they want him scripted. And and kind of the what the the followers that he's already accumulated and aggregated on his own, they love his his kind of flippant nature. What one of the things that uh, I guess is about being human. I mean, this is history being made with with Hillary Clinton being the first female nominee, uh, or you know, I guess uh, presumed nominee. Um, Yet she's also run into it's kind of a typical. And it, 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 we've had other talks about this on the show about her tone and and almost kind of the sexist or the biased view of a woman being strong seems shrill talk about that i know you've written about uh is it really always good to be a female in politics and talk about the impact of just being a woman is it an advantage or a disadvantage in a political process when you look at the research which is fascinating Uh, What we find is traditionally women in general have very positive qualities ascribed to them just by virtue of being a woman. When it comes to women politicians, however, those positive stereotypes do not necessarily apply. In fact, they may almost run counter to the fact that you've got this dichotomy between a woman's role by, by virtue of her gender and her role in the professional world, being a politician. That is something Hillary Clinton has to be very careful about because she's so accomplished. She's powerful. She is, she is somebody that you sometimes see first as a politician, second as a woman. That shouldn't be the case, mm. but that is the way some people see her. She has tried to embrace her femininity in order to counteract that very unfair effect that yeah. the planet gender card might have. You saw her at the beginning of the campaign celebrating her femininity. She was talking about being a grandmother. She was talking about, you know, being a mother, being a wife. Now, ironically, she has circled back to that as recently as last Tuesday. She worked some of that into her speech in, again, trying to connect as a woman, as a human being, and not being tarnished by the image of a female politician, which is very different right. than the more, warm, the more warm and nurturing view of being a woman generally. So it is, it's both a blessing and a curse to be a woman in politics, yeah. and you're seeing that play out for the, like you said, it is historic the very first female front-runner Democratic uh, nominee. And, I mean, like, uh, Donald can be tough about this Orlando shooting, and he comes off tough and uses tough language, and it seems like it makes him just seem strong. Um, It's true, but you know what? Hillary Clinton is right there with us, as is her surrogate, and perhaps 
potential Democratic running mate, Elizabeth Warren. Yeah, she's I all the over war it. of words yeah. between Trump and Warren last week was of a caliber that I'm not sure we've seen yet in this election. So were there ever a question as to whether or not a woman can go toe-to-toe with Trump based on the rhetoric? There shouldn't be now. Mm, not now, anymore. That there are still some, some very important distinctions. Um, Warren and Hillary Clinton are not willing to use the kind of terminology that Trump uses, uh, much to their credit, say many of the sure. supporters. Keep but it what remains elevated. Be, and you know what else, Matt? Interestingly, Trump did not counterpunch to the extent that he did mm-hmm. when he was being attacked by some of his GOP rivals earlier in the race. Remember, you know, when Warren just went after him last week, just, you know, no holds barred, he basically went, you know, circled back and said, you know, goofy Elizabeth Warren yeah. at it again. She's right. got a nasty mouth. He did not at all go to the extent that he went when some of his earlier um, male GOP rivals were attacking him. See, this is this is it, and then as I watch all of this, I, I think because I feel like I'm a, a very average person, and um, as I look at it, I think, yeah, okay, I don't know if I relate to any of this anymore. You know what I mean? Like I, I almost feel like as a as just a watcher, and I don't relate to Hillary Clinton that went in to the White House poor and is worth $100 million. I don't relate to Donald Trump, who all of his other fiascos and stuff. And then all of – it's almost like are, are we getting to a point where uh, we have, a, we have a, a political system – not system, but process right now where we're actually kind of di- – a lot of people are getting disgusted by it. They're turned off. Yeah, the, a lot of them have been turned off for quite a while. That's one of the reasons that candidates like Bernie Sanders and Donald Trump got as much traction right. as they did. You know, Bernie Sanders was ironically at 74 years old. Oh. a fresh face. Yeah. I mean, that's <laughs> what I was, I was loving. Like, And I, I mean, Bernie, so far from what I would be normally politically, but I was so intrigued by the fact that he's not Hillary or Donald. He was just, yeah. you know what he is? He's human. He's, he's human, and that is part of the reason that he attracted so many followers. You know, he did much better in this election than he expected to. Sure. He never thought he was going to win as many states as he did. I think he was more surprised than anyone. Now, of course, the question there now, he's still holding on to Hillary Clinton's pant leg. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you know, he hasn't let go yet, but no doubt that conversation they had last night for almost two hours probably wasn't just about grandkids. It probably had something to do with what happens now with him still in the race. But you're right. Part of his success had to do with how he humanized himself to the public. So now how can his supporters view Hillary Clinton in the same positive light that they viewed Bernie Sanders? Mm, that's, that's the question. That's the test. Let's take a break. We're speaking with Dr. Wendy Patrick. And you can uh, go to her website, wendypatrickphd.com. Get more information about what, she, uh, what she's doing along with her books. She's the author of Red Flags, How to Spot Frenemies, Underminers, and Other Toxic People in Every Area of Your Life. We'll come back, continue the discussion of uh, Hillary Clinton, Donald Trump, and, uh, you know, humanizing the politician might be their greatest advantage if they could do it. Stick with us. We'll be right back. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. Uh, Dr. Wendy Patrick joins us. She is a 
She's an attorney. She's a, uh, a PhD and is studying or is uh, an excellent writer that that uh, writes for Psychology Today. She's an author as well. Uh, one of her books is Red Flags: How to Spot Frenemies, Underminers, and Other Toxic People in Every Area of Your Life. You can go to her website, wendypatrickphd.com, to get uh, more information about her books and her her uh, media interviews, all of her work. Uh, but Wendy, thank you so much for being back with us. Thank you for having me. Honestly, it's uh, we need people to kind of decipher what's going on. We we hear one funny thing I, I heard recently is um, Hillary made a comment that she she really didn't love or she wasn't going to change any of her views um, by taking on some of the views of Bernie Sanders. What she really wants, it's not going to change any of her opinions or her positions. What she really wants is Bernie's passion. She wants the passion. Right. And which is interesting, and I think that's insightful by Hillary Clinton because she's for some reason she doesn't bring the passion to people or to the to the campaign. That's exactly true, Matt. You know, when I talk about Trump psychology, passion is part of what drives his campaign. Passion is also part of what drives Bernie Sanders. Mm-hmm. I mean, if you look at the footage of a Bernie Sanders rally, you think you're watching a rock concert. <laughs> totally. I mean, there's music and shouting. And, and if you look at who's in the background of the shots, it's young people. There's this enthusiasm. He's vivacious. He's energetic. Hillary Clinton has got to do a little bit more of that. I wouldn't bet. I wouldn't doubt her advisors are telling her that. You know, she is very accomplished, very polished. I mean, my sure. goodness, if you watch oh. her Benghazi testimony, yeah, yeah, she was articulate, solid, polished, yeah. prepared. It was flawless to the very end. So, how can she then translate that that articulate nature, that perfection? You know, in terms of her speaking ability. How can she spice it up a little bit? How can she add a little bit of enthusiasm? You'll notice that Trump is not nearly as articulate as Hillary Clinton. You know, he repeats a lot of phrases, yet he's loud, he's aggressive, he knows how to rile up a crowd. So does Bernie Sanders. So you can imagine she's probably taking a, a page out of his playbook. How do we know that? We've seen her try that out at certain of her rallies. It doesn't always go as well as she no doubt would plan. But, you know, practice makes perfect when you're really attempting to adopt a style that's not really your style. It's hard for politicians to do that. It's hard for any of us to do that because we've all got our own personalities. Mm. But she's really got to try however she needs to do it to add a little bit of enthusiasm and excitement into her campaign, as you said, in order to get some of those Bernie Sanders supporters. Did you see when she walked on the stage uh, at her at that um, where was it when when she was basically going to um, ah, receive it, it she it was just a few it was about a week ago I don't know why I don't know the name of it it's, was she wearing white she was, was wearing white and she walked primary? out yeah and yeah. this was it this was when they were basically going to close down the primary officially she oh that this is when she had enough delegates. To, to basically say it's mine, I'm taking it. And she, she went on stage. Now, when she got on stage, to me, it was the most beautiful, real moment of Hillary I had ever seen because it seems like she was emotionally moved um, by kind of what's happening here. And, yes, but, and, and every time did you see that moved. I did. Every time she's moved to emotion because I've also seen her on, on national television move to tears. 
uh, sadly, she was criticized by yeah. some people for that. But yeah. for most of us, we saw her as a human being. That humanized she emotions her, right? just like exactly. She has emotions just like the rest of us. You know, I'll give you kind of an off-the-cuff example of that. Remember um, the the unfortunate coughing fit she had after yeah. 11 hours of yeah. Benghazi testimony? That humanized her, too. She is a real person. Mm-hmm. You know, she actually said that. She said those words at the beginning of the campaign. But actions speak louder than words. And when she shows us that she does have just a broad range of emotions as the rest of us, we see her very differently. And it's good for her campaign. We're not just voting for policy. Mm-hmm. We're voting for a, a person. She's more than policy. She's a person. And the, the footage you're referencing, as well as other bits of footage where she talks about her, you know, her, grand, her grandchild and her right. mother. In fact, remember, she gave a very moving speech yep. that included um, referencing her mother last Tuesday. Those kinds of things, really, we can relate to that. All of us can. So she'd be well advised to do more of that, and I'll bet I'll bet you that she will. Could she? I mean, it it seems like it might do her good to um, take her off teleprompter, and you know yeah. what I mean, and force her to because she's brilliant, she's a smart woman, and just let her just be like the rest of us. And it might be smarter to keep Donald on prompter. That's right. Do you know what I mean? You know, what's, inter- what's interesting about that is there was no teleprompter during her Benghazi testimony, and she did just fine. But mm. there's a big difference between the way she behaves on the stump compared, for example, to her husband, Bill. Yeah. He was in his element oh, on yeah. the stump. He was shaking hands and kissing babies. And just you know, He was very energetic and very charismatic. Right. Trump is very charismatic as well. Hillary, her strengths are, are elsewhere, but that's not to say she wouldn't be very charismatic if she allowed herself to be comfortable in the moment. Mm. Sometimes it's that comfort factor. Sometimes it's painfully evident that certain politicians are not comfortable interacting with people at rallies. But the more she does it, the more she's going to become comfortable, no mm-hmm. doubt. And we'll probably see a little more of that between now and November. But it's going to be a process, just like it's been a process Donald Trump to tone down her rhetoric, it's yeah. going to be a process for her to ramp up her humanization of herself. And I think she can do it. What um, I, I guess, too, the, this trust factor, it's, is it just because we see incongruity? What is it that makes um, the people not – I mean, there, there's all the stories, but the stories aside, there's got to be something that's just more in our gut that makes us not trust them. That's right. You know, I call this the optic of politics, flash over substance, when the, when the mannerisms don't match the message. Right. We operate off of counterintuition. We're not sure why sometimes we have an uneasy feeling about somebody, but we do. And it's hard to put our finger on what is the inconsistency, because that's really what it is. It's inconsistency between what we're seeing or hearing and what we know about the candidate. Or sometimes it's even simpler than that. Some politicians use words and they don't use facial expressions to match. Mm. And we are less distrustful of that. We want everything to match up because that's the hallmark of an authentic speaker. So Trump, for example, is very authentic to some people because clearly the passion that he is saying matches his facial expressions as has been captured in many photographs that are papering (laughs) the Internet. Um, Clinton, sometimes same thing, same thing with Bernie Sanders, but it's to varying degrees where I think we're really going to see it coming up is when we get into the debates between Trump. Oh, yeah. We are no doubt going to see some fireworks. 
but we're going to be looking farther than that. We're going to be trying to determine the person behind the persona. And we do that by making sure we pay attention not just to the words, which would be called the transcript test, right? We don't just care about what they're saying, but whether their emotions match their verbiage. Mm. And that's what we're going to be looking at. Well, and it's almost like... Uh, you you know when Hillary Clinton goes in, she you know she's going to be well read. You know she'll know all the policies. She'll know she's more wonkish. She's a wonk, uh, and Donald's not a wonk. He's kind of a, he's a brute. So he's gonna he, he's gonna use emotion, not policy, and she's gonna seemingly want to go policy, not emotion. Right, and you know voters are not as familiar with policy. Oh yeah, as so that could throw them. Right. Some some voters, their eyes glaze over right. when some politicians get so technical and they're in the weeds. And many voters don't really follow all of that. But they do understand jobs, national security, the economy, paying for college. Those are issues that candidates can connect viscerally with voters. So that is where Donald Trump has a lot of appeal to people that are watching him because they care about some of these very basic, very basic concepts that really hits them viscerally. And when they're watching him on TV talk about this stuff, remember, viewers are voters. Mm hmm. Right. And and in the end, I guess I guess that's the important thing. Um, is is uh, the key is you've got to feel like you're real to me. I've got to feel like I can trust you. What what angle do you think Hillary should take to kind of um, to to ding Donald's issues? And what what do you think Donald should do to to hit Hillary's weaknesses? Well, you know, two good points. Let me take them in reverse chronological order because the, the latter, Donald's really kind of stepping up his policy knowledge. That is huge because we're talking about somebody auditioning to be not another reality TV star, but the commander in chief. That's the criticism you hear a lot about right. Donald. To his credit, he has done a lot of homework in attempting to familiarize himself, and he's a quick study on the issues of the day. He's also done something that, of course, voters care about. He's he's very much said he intends to surround himself with a team of advisors that are far smarter than he is on the issues. So voters will be getting a package deal right. if they vote for Donald Trump. Now, Hillary Clinton, she could probably she probably knows more than any advisors that she could appoint, but she's got to simplify her message in order to connect with voters emotionally. Mm. She can't just go in there talking, and, and she knows that. Yeah, she and knows. Donald Trump knows that as well. We're not talking about anything the candidates don't know. But the voters are likely going to see her kind of streamline her message in order to to transmit the reality that she knows she's got to appeal to voters on a more visceral level. She knows she's got to inject more enthusiasm and more energy. And she also knows she's got to do everything she can to appear that she has more in common with us. Yeah. Not something, you know, not be so far above us only because she is so knowledgeable and has so much, has so much political experience but that she could be the person behind us in Chipotle. Mm. Probably won't happen, right. but it could happen. And that's the kind of humanization she is striving to achieve as we move into the general election. Mm. Great insight. Well, Dr. Wendy Patrick, thank you so much. Appreciate uh, just I just appreciate you w- spending the time walking us through this. And uh, best of luck in your continued analysis of this crazy election. Uh, thank you so much for having me. You bet. Again, everybody, go check out the website, Wendy Patrick, Ph.D., 
wendypatrickphd.com, wendypatrickphd.com, and uh, her book, Red Flags, How to Spot Frenemies, Underminers, and Other Toxic People in Every Area of Your Life. Plus, go to Psychology Today, other insight uh, from Wendy Patrick. We'll take a break, come back, wrap up the show. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Stick with us. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. You know, one thing we have seen with Donald Trump in the race is just we've probably never had a, a bigger marketer than Donald Trump. I mean, for example, we we saw one of his press conferences where he behind him were Trump steaks, Trump water, Trump vodka, all of these products he's been selling. Well, did you know now if you are a single life may be a lot better under a Trump presidency because you can go now to a website, trumpsingles.com, and uh, guess what? Find love. We're going to win so much, you may even get tired of winning. And you'll say, please, please, it's too much winning. We can't take it anymore. Mr. President, it's too much. And I'll say, no, it isn't. We have to keep winning. We have to win more. We're going to win more. Yeah. So if you want to get a date and be a winner, go to TrumpSingles.com. David Goss is the co-founder of Trump Singles. He said, um, you know, it's one thing to have Donald as the president. and, And he said, I heard a story of a girl on a date who said she supported Trump and the guy got up and walked out, leaving her with the bill. So David Goss, the co-founder, said, I'm going to fix that. I'm going to make it so people that love Trump can go date people that love Trump. Goss 35 is an associate producer on sci-fi reality television show Face Off, and he put the finishing touches on the site on May 16th. He and his business partner, web designer Tim Burks, will roll out Android and app versions of this uh, of this wonderful website. So you can now go find fellow Trumpers to to marry and date. And great news, by the way. You're not alone. Coming out soon will be BernieSingles.com, and it's going to lead with this song. I saw it. I'm telling you. You want love? You can go Democrat Bernie singles. You can go Republican Trump singles. Either way, folks, you're covered. Love is alive in the country, regardless who's president. We'll be right back. Stick with us. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Your guide on the side. Follow Dr. Matt on Twitter at Dr. Matt Show. Call the show at 1-855-CHAT-BYU. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt Townsend. Now on BYU Radio. BYU Radio. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt here, your coach, your guide on the side. Top of the morning. That's actually middle of the morning for most of us. Man, and it's a good day. It's Friday. So, you know, some of you are looking forward to the weekend. Uh, a lot of you are looking forward to the exciting opportunity to go outside and sweat a lot. I'm in the second camp. People are melting. Uh, ben, you've been sweating for years, though. Yeah, I've, I've come to like it, actually. Yeah, the rest of us think it's disgusting. By the way, it's uh, National Census Day. Our census is mm-hmm. Yeah. You, 
You got five of them, guys. Smell, taste, touch, sight, and hearing. What was that? That's the Five Senses song. Oh. You don't love it? Is it like a, a new spin on Schoolhouse Rock? It's by Coldplay. Of course. <laughs> National Senses. Of day. course it's Coldplay. Your favorite band. I love Coldplay. Yeah. Terry, on the other hand. Not so much. Not so much. But he did love the Five Senses version. That was good. Uh, it's also Take Your Dog to Work Day. Whoops. <laughs> ben. Sounds slimy. <laughs> doesn't sound like a very appealing Take Your Dog to Work Day. I had the greatest thing I happened to me. Um, I have a blind uh, client that I work with that brought me her new companion dog, and I got to meet her dog fascinating story. I'm going to get her on the show. Seriously, amazing how important these dogs are. What about... And how they protect... Oh, it's amazing. What about companion turkeys? We had a story... They tried that. You remember? Yeah. The companion. guy went on a, a, an airplane and he had a right. companion turkey. I'd probably go for a boa. Man, your boa sure protects you. What a good companion. It I... helps me with my anxiety <laughs> as it wraps around me. Look, I just wanted a good companion donkey. <laughs> but they won't let me bring it in everywhere. It's uh, it's not take your donkey to work day today. It's take your dog to work day. I There are a lot of places now. I grew up, my dad at his office, they always had their dog there. Hmm. So, you know, it's cool. And they actually, there's some research I saw the other day that shows having a dog at the office uh, changes the entire business environment in a very well, business-friendly yeah. way. There's a dog there. Because everyone's like, oh, cute dog. I'll buy 500 more. Really? It does. It's how you upsell. All right. It's totally true. So we will get to uh, – we'll talk more about uh, some crazy news stories that are coming up and, and have we've been just dying to get to. Also today we'll be talking about um, how your brain thinks and many times the way it thinks and processes opportunities may actually lead to bad money decisions. There, we have biases that are kind of built into the way we think. And those crazy little weird thought processes end up making it uh, so we don't always make good financial decisions. We'll be speaking with Kristen Wong about that in just a few moments. So if you're a person that seems to make bad financial choice after bad financial choice, listen up because there might be you know five or six different thought processes you might want to blow up before you go buy the new car. We'll get to that and lots of other fun information and tools for you to live better lives. But first, let's get to the headlines with Caitlin Thomas. Caitlin, what's going on around the rest of the country? All right. Well, big stuff, Matt. Hillary Clinton beat Donald Trump in a head-to-head matchup in Arizona. According to a new poll released on Thursday, the survey conducted by a Phoenix-based firm gives Clinton 46.5% to Trump's 42.2%. The ruby-red state is not usually in play in presidential races. Before Bill Clinton in 1996, the last Democrat to win the state was Harry Truman in 1948. Mitt Romney, the 2012 Republican presidential nominee, defeated President Obama by nine points in Arizona. So big deal. Donald Trump landed in Scotland on Friday to take care of some golf business, and immediately upon landing, he offered his endorsement of the U.K. vote to leave the European Union. Trump tweeted, just arrived in Scotland. Place is going wild over the vote. They took their country back, just like we will take America back. No games. Then he wrote on Facebook, come November, the American people will have the chance to re-declare their independence. 
A review of presumptive Democratic presidential nominee Hillary Clinton's official State Department calendar found more than 75 meetings with political donors, lobbyists, and individuals with corporate interests were not recorded. Other entries, the Associated Press reports, had all identifying information removed. More than 114 outsiders who'd met with the then-Secretary of State had had their names taken off the calendar. Many of the edited or missing parts, including policy sessions with corporate leaders and political donors. According to federal prosecutors, a Utah militia leader attempted to detonate a bomb at the Bureau of Land Management facility in Arizona. William Keebler, 57, of Stockton, Utah, was arrested after having allegedly placed a pipe bomb against a BLN cabin he caught he reportedly scouted with the late Oregon militia occupier Robert Lavoy Finicum. He was caught because the person he assigned to build the remote detonated bomb was an undercover FBI agent. Keebler was charged Thursday in U.S. District Court with attempting to blow up federal property. And last but not least, scientists have discovered that cancerous tumors spread through seawater between particular shellfish. According to a study in Nature by researchers from Columbia University, Spain, and Canada, a leukemia-like disease called disseminated neoplasia was contracted by a soft shell clamped through contagious cells in the seawater. They eventually discovered that other mollusks, like mussels and cockles, may also spread such cancerous cells. The tumors were found to be genetically distinct from their host. So we have uh, homemade bombs and cancerous shellfish. So there you go, Matt. There's your news. Thanks, Caitlin, for your little drop of sunshine. That's horrible. So I can't, I can't have mussels, yep. even though I'm ripped. Well, I can't have mm. clams, probably oysters. Yeah. Well, some. And cockles. This is limited. I've never it's, had a cockle. It's not widespread, but it's an issue. Man, that's scary. That's all you need. Oh, great. Now cancer's contagious. And I've been criticized by people close to me about my – I'm not really motivated to eat fish, mm-hmm. to eat seafood. Why? I've never lived in a place adjacent to where the it would come out of. Uh, I've never lived near an ocean. Great Salt Lake? Yeah. Brine shrimp? That's not a <laughs> ocean. And no. so you, when you live in a landlocked state and they're airlifting seafood to you, you're like, how fresh is that? Where did that come from? What is that? Yeah, those those sorts of questions come to mind. Yeah, you know, um, oh, it's just that, I, that took me back. I did not. I had, and I thought I had been reading a lot of the news, but I didn't read that. Did you hear about Norway? Uh, Norwegian Consumers Group um, took inspiration from slow television to produce a marathon webcast of a team of readers going through the fine print of terms and conditions. Of downloadable apps. Oh, wow. No one reads those. No you just one hit ever okay reads and move it. on. Yeah. You never read it, right? So Finn Meerstad from Norwegian Consumer Council says the idea was to point out the absurdity and even illegality of some of the conditions that are in that in in the writing that none of us read. The show began on Tuesday morning with the team reading through the terms of around thirty popular apps. And it ended thirty two years later or thirty two years later, thirty two hours later. Wow. The council later tweeted a 12-second recap of the broadcast and has popularized slow television, putting hours, uh, five hours of knitting, a, burn, a fire burning itself out, oh, and wow. minute-by-minute salmon fishing on TV. So is this because what they had on there wasn't any worse than reading right. like, these user agreements? Wow. Well, but you know, honestly, you know there's people that sat there and listened. Because well, right. if they're reading the... 
the uh, you know the kind of the small print of the Facebook app, mm-hmm. and you're on Facebook, that would be fascinating for a minute. Okay. Would it? Yeah, but the problem is you'd have to find the right minute because it might take 20 minutes to read it, but there's only one minute of interesting stuff. It seems up there with watching a filibuster. Oh, I or love watching, me a good filibuster. Watching Democrats sit on the floor of the House chambers. Yeah. I mean, it's interesting for a minute, and you're like, okay, yeah. I get what they're doing, and you move on. It's always hard, though, to find the right minute. It. I, I'm convinced any minute will give you the exact same amount of information that you need for that. No, situation. you want to get to the meaty. You want to get to a meaty nugget of of information, but you got to wait an hour to get there. I, I would hope one of these big TV networks has an intern that's doing that. <laughs> Just hope, <laughs> I guess. Help me with this because I, my time. I I still have issues with this. The Democrats are playing up, and there's all this audio about how how bad they want to fix the gun issues. Yes. So they did the sit in, right? Mm-hmm. And then they sent out, like, fundraising flyers. Yeah. But, and then they all went home. They only did the sit-in for, like, what, 36 hours? It was about 26. It got past the 20. Well, almost a whole day. They got, well, well, a whole day a plus, whole day plus two, two hours. hours. Yeah. Then they walk out cheering, holding hands to the media. Okay. Yeah. Junk. How far should they have gone? Till forever. Just indefinitely? Right. So okay. if you're so sick of gun issues, That's what then some, stay at it. Some of them claim they would do this through the 4th then of July. Then do it. But then they went, wait a second. I've got, got a, a vacation plan. i got to go. Hey, that's my point. <laughs> yeah. It's a bunch of hype. And they sold it for only 26 hours so they could say they went a day. You didn't even go a day. Half of you weren't even there. I'm telling you, this is yeah. just a bunch of malarkey. Well, and then when you see Speaker Paul Ryan stand up and he's got the uh, the flyers that were sent out and the emails that were sent out to uh, Democratic Party supporters asking for donations to support this effort. Right. So they turned it into a fundraising campaign, which really kind of diminishes the what they were saying on the floor and how this is important and we need to do this for the country. It sounds like they're doing it as a promotional thing. Mm-hmm. To make money. But, and then they go out. We made a really – I think we made an incredibly strong point of how serious we are about gun laws. Yeah, you did for 26 hours. Now we won't hear about it again till the next shooting. Right. But if you want to you know, have as much power as the NRA, then actually stand up for more than 26 hours for what you believe in. Like, or actually, sorry, sit in. Sit down for 26 hours. Or shut the government down. Exactly. See, you really want to mess this up? Shut the government down. That's what the Republicans did. It just seems like if you really believe in something and you believe all of your rhetoric, then stay at it till something changes. But that's, I think, the fortitude that we don't have in any of our politicians. Kind of sad. Donald Rumsfeld, by the way, endorses uh, Donald Trump. It's a Don for Don. Donald Rumsfeld, who, if you remember, Trump once called him a disaster, mm. has now endorsed. He says, I am a lot more comfortable with a known unknown who I will support than a known known who is unacceptable. Yeah, this is more, I think it feels more like an anti Hillary Clinton vote than yeah. a. Pro-Trump which, vote, but. By the way, which a lot of times for Trump's, it's a very strong endorsement. Yeah. I like you a little bit more than I don't like her. <laughs> CNN's, by the way, hiring Corey Lewandowski. Yes. The uh, the kind of 
what do we call him? The ex the ex campaign manager campaign for, manager uh, Trump slash bodyguard slash reporter grabber reporter grabber throw to the ground despite video cameras proving. I, I was reading. Really, I, I get an email from uh, there's a guy that does a show. It's called Reliable Sources on CNN. He sends out a media focused news email, and in there he was talking about this. He said he he tried to talk to CNN management. He works for CNN. He tried to talk to management about it, but they had no comment. I guess. Ah. But uh, he was talking to other people he works with that have openly criticized Lewandowski on the air, and now they have to sit next to him. Yeah. See, it just seems weird to me and, that he was he was kind of discredited. He didn't yeah. have a lot of really experience. strong Apparently, operative experience yeah. in the political world. Kind of a brute. Really was very anti-media. And the minute he's free, CNN's like, I got to have him, got to have him, got to get him, get him, get him. The, the, the media guy said the reason they did it was because they have so many voices on the air that are anti-Trump. Yeah. They want to try to balance it with more Trump voices so that you can get different perspectives. And this is one of the best right. voices out there. The problem is it's hard to find someone who wants to go in and be pro-Trump yeah. with some of the policies he's been uh, talking about. And now they've got a guy in Lewandowski who wants to continue that. The problem is he won't say if he has a non-disclosure, non-negative comments against his former oh, employer's yeah. Yeah. type agreement. Isn't that weird? It's yeah. a, now he's elevated to seriously credible. Mm-hmm. Because he'll just wear the CNN moniker, and 10 years later, he'll be one of their top people. In the same respect, if Hillary Clinton fired her campaign manager, everyone would want him on their network. Oh, abs- in a second. Yeah. He's probably already on their network. Huh. Oh, the tangled web. Interesting stuff, folks. Um, we are going to take a break. When we come back, we will be talking about how your brain and your cognitive biases may lead to bad money-making decisions. There's just a lot of kind of inherent beliefs that we all have. Like you don't throw good money after bad, right? Right? We'll talk about it. Kristen Wong will be joining us and uh, talking about uh, a great article that will help us all save some money. That's a good thing. We'll be right back. This is The Matt Townsend Show. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. Hey, we're trying to get our next guest on the line, and uh, while we're waiting, I was just going to talk to you about my um, one of my great new revelations. I've had an epiphany, and it happened a few days ago when we were interviewing Tim Pitchell. He said, you know, a lot of our time management issues are emotional management issues. And then it just and it dawned on me because of what I do um, outside of the show. A lot of our relationship issues are emotional management issues. So think about this. When you think of your fight, the biggest argument you have with a friend, a family member, a neighbor, um, do you have – Do you lose control? Do you feel rejected, dejected? Do you get angry? Do you feel hurt beyond measure? Do you get sick of it? You're tired. You're exhausted. You're worn out. A lot of this, if you notice, they're all emotions and they're emotional reactions. They're emotional management. 
um, issues. And as as I've been working with couples, I had a couple come in the other day, and basically the story goes like this: she um, they were signing up, they went on a vacation to Hawaii. And while they were there, part of the deal was they had to go listen to a time uh, – like a timeshare meeting, right? Where a timeshare is where you go own one whatever, 40th of a condo in Hawaii and you put $20,000 down and then you get to go use it once every year or whatever. So a lot of these companies, you know, they've got great resorts all over the world and then you can go and, and go to all of those great areas. So this couple is there just enjoying basking in the beautiful glow of Hawaii. And while they're signing up, it's a couple – the husband had been married before. So it's a second marriage for him. And um, you know they've had tension a long time. Uh, they've been married about two or three years. But it's been tense just because of you know trying to merge these new families and things so as they're signing up for the timeshare the husband is is entering their names uh into like the register that they're there ready for their meeting and he enters his name and then he puts his ex-wife's name instead of his new wife's name and she you know was paying attention and noticed that okay so what we call that in my business that's the stimulus right there Right. That is now that is the this is the moment where the cage fight begins. And the minute the name was down, she saw it and she had an immediate emotional reaction to it, which was kind of like, what? Prepare to die. And he he realized what he had done and he kind of froze. He hadn't looked at her his wife yet. But he immediately had his own reaction like, ah, jeez, I'm dead. I'm dead. Hope she didn't see that. And then he crosses the name off and puts his wife's – his second wife's name on. Okay. But that moment created this situation that then eventually, because we didn't manage our emotions in that moment, it turned into about two or three days of not talking – one day of the man not even being allowed in the hotel room, so he slept on the beach like a vagrant, and uh, um, and they they fought and fought and fought, and then actually made an appointment to come see me while they were still on their vacation, and then they got in. So when I say relationship issues are emotional management issues, that's exactly what I mean. She had an emotional reaction to what was going on. He had a reaction to what was going on. And because nobody could control the emotion, manage their own emotion, or lower their partner's emotion, it became an emotional, you know, roller coaster and, quite honestly, an emotional explosion. So I wanted to take you through some tools and some ideas to help us all recognize that in our relationships, it's if you don't manage your own emotion, you're setting yourself up. Because the pain, no matter what, is going to be yours. Well, yeah, but if I make it painful enough for him. But if you're making it painful for your partner, you're the one that's still going to pay, right? Because you have to maintain the pain in order to make it hurtful to another. So some rules, very basic rules. Rule number one, you are not your emotions. Because you feel angry doesn't mean you have to be angry. You can have a feeling as a human being and not ride it, you know, to death. 
You're not a dog. You don't have to just you, – you can think through this. You can process it. Why would a loving, decent, great, amazing guy write down his ex-wife's name? Well, because he's thinking about her. Maybe. Maybe he's not. Maybe he's just not thinking at all. Maybe he's going by habit. Maybe it has something to do with the mere fact that for, I don't know, how many years, uh, eight, nine years, he was married to one woman, and he's instead got two hours with or two years with this other woman. Well, yeah, but he should remember me more, right? Well, maybe. But you're not your emotion. You don't have to just react. You also are an agent that can choose and be what you need to be in this moment. You're, remember, emotions are there to teach you. They're there to help you. They're there to guide you. The reason both people were freaking out was so that we would pay attention to the moment. It, we weren't, we didn't, the, the wife didn't need to freak out and the husband didn't need to fear because this was catastrophic. It didn't need to be catastrophic. It was just, oh, we need to pay attention to this. Emotions are there to make sure we pay attention. They're there to make sure we take advantage of the right opportunity to handle something. And so we could have just used the emotion as a tool to help us. But what ended up happening to this couple is they ended up blowing up. They hurt themselves. They hurt each other. And in the end, it was probably because of their insecurities. We've got to learn that if you have an emotional response to something, it's, even if it's justified, I get it. You should be – if you were in a car accident that a drunk driver caused and it hurt you, you should be emotional and you should be angry. I'm not saying don't be angry. I am saying however long you allow the emotion to manage you is how long you will suffer. So our goal would then be to find another emotion. And one of the things um, we talk about a lot on the show is – you know, find your your best self. So that our lowest self will just take the emotion and run with it because we're afraid, we're hurt, we're worried, we're concerned. But our highest self um, will take us to another another level. This couple, when they finally got to my office, all I did eventually after talking to them is I showed them that they have many responses to this same situation. But I asked them very quite simply um, if if all of a sudden one of you were sick, if one of you had cancer. Would, what would matter about this? And they're both like, well, nothing. Why wouldn't it matter if one of you, if one of you really had cancer? And by the way, interestingly, one of them is sick. And it is scary. It's scary for them. The fear is the woman's afraid that she might, she might be more easily replaceable if she's not already making an imprint on this guy that he can't get the name right. But it was out of fear she responded. And then his fear about how she responds created an issue. But all of a sudden, if we could get present and be our best self, which we tend to be when someone's sick, we tend to be our best self when we are more in our highest values and our highest principles. Things tend to work better for us. So think about it. Think about your relationships. And don't just assume that your problems are your partner. They might very well just be your emotions and your emotional inability to manage those emotions. Emotional intelligence, as we wrap it up, is very basically just a few skills. Emotionally intelligent people recognize their own emotion, and they know how to lower them and manage them and make them healthy. Emotionally intelligent people also know how to recognize the emotion of others, and they know how to help those people lower their emotion. 
And emotionally intelligent people also know how to enroll people into their emotions and get people to buy into their good emotions. So if you are having relationship problems, can I suggest, especially if you can't, you seem like you can't get any progress going, don't maybe stop trying to work on your partner and instead just start learning some emotional intelligence skills, managing your own feelings, trying to not be so fearful, trying to operate out of your highest self, your best self, that essence, that goodness that's inside of every one of us when we choose to be good. Anyway, emotional management 101, basic stuff, right? We'll take a break, come back and be talking uh, money and how your brain plays tricks with you when it comes to how you spend your money. Stick with us. This is the Matt Townsend Show, helping you live longer and see the good in the world. We'll be right back. to the Matt Townsend Show. Why is budgeting such a challenge for some of us? Well, you know, money isn't uh, hard because of the math. Sometimes it's the psychology that trips us up. How we can retake control of our minds and our wallets. Here to tell us the cognitive biases that lead to bad money decisions and how to overcome them is blogger Kristen Wong. Uh, Kristen, welcome to the Matt Townsend Show. Thank you so much for being here. Thanks for having me on. You bet. This I I love the article. It's um, because I, I love I love our thinking, right? I love how our brain works and sometimes doesn't work. But you call them their cognitive biases. And why don't you um, talk to us about what a cognitive bias uh, is, and uh, and then maybe start walking us through what are some of the the ways we think and how they impact actually how we spend our money or manage our money. Sure. Well, cognitive bias is just you know, the thing that your brain does when it works against you. So maybe you want to do one thing, but your brain kind of, just because that's human nature, works in a totally different way. So I'll give you an example. Um, Probably the most common cognitive bias when we're talking about personal finance is the sunk cost fallacy. And the sunk cost fallacy is like when you're going to a store, let's say, and you're shopping for, um, I don't know, let's say you're shopping for a wireless keyboard or something, yeah. and you go to the store, you're searching for it, you, you search high and low, you can't find the one you're looking for, but you, you're at Best Buy anyway, and you say, well, I've already spent all this time here. I have to buy something because I don't want to waste <laughs> my time because that's the sunk cost. You're wasted time, right? Yeah. So, um, so from the sunk cost fallacy, then you end up buying something like, I don't, you know, some impulsive item uh, at Best Buy that you don't really need, but you feel like you are making a good financial decision because of the sunk cost fallacy because you didn't think that cost. So that's probably the most popular example. Oh, yeah. No, I've done that too. Just like you, you, you take time off and, you know, to, because you have vacation time, but then you don't want to, oh, I have time off. This is, I don't want to waste the time off. So, and then you end up doing something you don't like anyway. I mean, we, we do this all the time and we don't even think about it, do we? Right. That's the thing is it, it, it's, it comes, um, you know, second nature. I, I think uh, I'll give another example of when, I, when I've done, the, you know, used the sunk cost style because that's kind of a basic example. Um, but like recently we moved into a new house and um, I 
paint the bathroom the wrong color paint. And um, instead of just starting over and, and getting the right paint, I just wanted to buy more of the wrong paint and paint <laughs> the rest of the room in the wrong color. And that's totally the sunk cost fallacy in action. And, you know, that's more of a wasted time and effort example than wasted money. But it can be wasted money if, like, I have to go back later and redo all of that. So you right. might as well do it right the first time. But I think sunk cost gets in the way and clouds our judgment. Well, yeah, you've already bought you've already bought two cans. You may as well just get two more. <laughs> You're halfway there. Oh, wow. It's it's true. And it's I guess the dilemma is um, because we, we, we're not actually noticing our own thinking as we're as we're doing this. So we actually feel like, I guess we're being efficient or effective or financially smart, but in the end it's going to cost you more. And if anything, it just might cost you energy of not liking your paint. Right. Exactly. So it's, it's not worth it. And I think we know that like when we think logically, but our, our brains just work, you know, kind of work against us sometimes. Um, another one that I think trips people up a lot is choice supportive bias. And that's kind of like, I mean, uh, confirmation bias. I'm not sure if you're, you know, familiar yeah. with that, but that's confirmation bias is basically when you already you already have an opinion and you look for um, facts and uh, data that supports the opinion you already have. So choice choice supportive bias is kind of like that, but with your purchasing decision. So when you splurge on something, you basically try to justify it. Like you you'll go through all of the you know uh, justifications. Like, well, I'll give an example. I bought a wedding dress recently i'm getting married in october and it was way more than i wanted to spend and it was totally an impulsive like i was i felt pressured into buying it and instead of just returning it and getting it over with i just kept using this choice supportive bias and thinking like oh well you know my granddaughter will use this someday and that may be true but i was totally just using that as a justification so i think that happens a lot with spending. oh we totally do that and then they call it buyer's stockholm syndrome because you're 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 being abused, I guess, but you actually commiserate with your abuser. Exactly. That's I love that. It's so funny, but yeah, it's it's like you are saying like, no, it's okay. You know, I I, I know that I was pressured into this and I bought it, but I I actually do need it. It's okay. Yeah. They were right. So, I've terrifying. done that like with a door to door salesman. You you know you're just getting played, but in the end you're like, I did. I might have cockroaches. So, you know, it'll make everyone happy. It's we really um, it's almost the rationalization, isn't it? What you're bringing up is we just have this habit of rationalizing everything. Right. And I think these are things that people already understand that they do. But when you, uh, you know, put a name on it or put a label on it, like choice supportive bias, it helps you understand the psychology of it a bit more. And when you understand how your brain is working, then you can combat it, right? So then you you understand why you're doing the things you do, and it makes it a lot easier to not do those things. Right. Uh, another example you gave, um, it was after college, you were intent on paying off your student loans. I turned a blind eye to my 401k match by my employer. I navigated my finances, budgeted for my debt payoff goal, and committed to it. When a coworker mentioned that I was leaving money on the table, I refused to see his point because you had already made the decision to pay your debt off. Right. Yeah. So I was. That was another choice supportive bias. I was looking for data and facts and opinions that supported the choice I already made because I didn't want to have to, you know, think about 
all the mess of investing, which really is not that hard, but you know, it just, it was not a choice that I had made. So I didn't want to hear it. It's so true. Uh, we bought a, we bought a bigger house with a bigger yard, but we did it because we have a family and the family, we're all going to go play in the yard. And even when I'm walking around the house thinking, I never want to mow this lawn. Um, I, but I, we needed the house. We needed the house. So it, it almost didn't matter what they brought to us. We were going to skew it to to fit our, you know, our mental model. Yes, exactly. Man, that's, we're pathetic. What we is are. our deal, Kristen? <laughs> well, we're just human. That's exactly right, huh? We're just people. Another one you talk about is anchoring bias. Uh, talk mm-hmm. us through that one. What does anchoring bias mean? So anchoring bias comes into play a lot with um, shopping and I would say like negotiation. Um, With shopping, it's like that anchoring bias is that thing where you go to a restaurant and you see a burger that's like $20 and you think there's no way I'm going to spend $20 on a burger. That's ridiculous. But then suddenly the $14 salad looks really cheap and affordable. <laughs> so that's anchoring. So they anchor you to the expensive thing. Yeah. And um and then you 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 go, you know, maybe you look at something else and it looks a little bit more appetizing. Um and then they do this in with salary, you know, negotiation or just negotiating anything also. Um they'll throw out a number and then, you know, let's say that you were you're interviewing for a job and you were thinking it's going to be more like 40,000 starting off and they throw out a number like 20,000 and you think Wow, I should have never. I can't believe I was even thinking forty thousand. So all of a sudden, you lowball yourself. Yeah. So that's anchoring bias in action. And they use that a lot. It seems like on menus, right? So you you get you get your head stuck on a number, and then it's mm-hmm. the, the minute they've already anchored you to a number, then you're not gonna you're not twisting it anywhere. Right. You're done. <laughs> Man, alive. And the funny thing about a lot of this is to to us, this psychology seems so. New, right? Like these might be new ideas to us, but to the marketers of the world, they know you have, you know, an anch- they know that they can use an anchoring bias. They know that you have choice supportive bias. They know you have sunk cost fallacy. I mean, they, they know you're using these things naturally. Oh, for sure. They've been using this forever. And it's actually, I mean, you can't blame them. That's what they do. Right. But it's really interesting to, like, I think I block quoted um, something from an actual advertiser that was saying, this is what people do with sunk cost fallacy or whatever the bias was. And just to hear how or read how advertisers sort of use it against or use it to manipulate you is really fascinating. Like, you, you're almost, like, impressed by it, you know? <laughs> It's so, it's it's so sad, and you, it, we really are. I guess a lot of us are. We just are. We're very predictable. We're predictable, yeah. and um, and which I guess is healthy and good, but it also maybe screams that we probably need to start paying a lot more attention to how we think and what we're doing. Yeah, but I think being predictable is also a good thing. Yeah, you can predict your own behavior, and I think when you try to deny it and say, "I'm that," I don't have these biases. I'm, you know, a superhuman. Uh, that doesn't really work because we are human, and we only have, you know, so much willpower. And it's better to underestimate. It's better for your finances to underestimate it than to overestimate yourself. Mm. Talk about the bandwagon effect. That I mean, I play. Oh man, I get sucked into this one all the time. That it, yeah. okay? Go ahead, explain it to us. <laughs> so the bandwagon effect is um, basically when you do 
you do something because that's what everyone else is doing, and it's fine. You don't need to save for retirement when you're 30 because none of your friends are saving for retirement. Right. I mean, why why bother? You're doing you're doing what everyone else is doing, and you're fine. Um, the example I used in the article was I wanted to buy a car after college, and you know everybody has a car payment and. I figured well, I'll just buy a new car, get a car payment, do what everybody else is doing. And my dad was like, why don't you just save up and buy a used car? Just save your money and pay it in cash. And I was like, are you crazy? Nobody pays their <laughs> car in cash. I'll just have a car payment. But he's, he was right, you know. And, you know, that decision is depends on a lot of different financial factors. But the point is you don't always have to – sometimes the better financial decision isn't what everyone else is doing. And that sounds so obvious, yet – we always hop on the bandwagon and we compare our decisions to what everyone else is doing instead of what might be financially sound for our situation. Mm. We had uh, the neighborhood was swarmed by door to door salespeople trying to sell me solar panels for my home. (laughs) And um, I would never even have thought of that. Uh, I don't know. It just, not that I don't love Mother Earth. But um, one of the things they said is, well, you know, so the Joneses are doing it. The, and they listed all these people in the neighborhood that are that are having their house reviewed to see financially if it's worth it. And I'm like, oh, well, oh, really? They're, oh, oh, well, yeah, then let's, yeah, let's do the assessment. So they, they assessed and then, but every time they'd come talk to us, um, they were always telling us what everyone else were, what the rest were doing. And I'm sitting there thinking, these are smart men and women. These people, that guy's an engineer and he's going to do it. And all of a yeah. sudden, I'm, I'm almost being convinced by simply the mere fact that others are involved, that this is brilliant. And then I'd go talk to them and they're like, yeah, I don't think I'm doing it. <laughs> oh, well, if you're not doing it, I'm not doing it. Um, but it's, it's almost like we, we need the security of everyone else, right, before we – Go make a big mis- a big decision, or like there's security in knowing that everybody else has a car payment, but mm-hmm. that's nuts, right? Right, because if you all if it, it you know goes down, you all go down together. Yeah, at least we go together. Be fine, and you know solar panels could be a you know a good financial sure. decision for you. Could save you a lot of money over time, but the fact that they're trying to get you to do it because your neighbors are doing it just shows you how effective the bandwagon effect can be because then you don't uh, you know you don't want to be left out they're making a good decision and you don't want to be left out of a good decision so then it starts looking better to you well and and the and the, the positive is true too right so if i'm at my 401k meeting and i see everybody signing up for the 401k it might get me to sign up for it too and that could be That's good for me true. Right. That's very true. The, the bandwagon effect. Any of these biases can actually work in your favor. The key is just looking at them logically and objectively and understanding what your brain is doing. And then, you know, it's not the, the, the answer isn't to do exactly the opposite of what is human nature to do. It's just to think about it objectively and make the make a good financial decision based on the facts and reality rather right. than your, you know, your mind playing tricks on you. The last bias you brought up in your article is called the status quo bias. Is this just, we, we just do what we've been doing? Right, exactly, because it's uncomfortable to do otherwise. And like you mentioned the investing earlier, um, when I didn't start my 401k, that was, you know, partially choice supportive bias. I didn't want to because I'd already made the choice. But also it was that's also it was also very uncomfortable to have to learn all that and do something new. I mean, investing seems very overwhelming. And actually, it's, it's pretty simple and it's pretty easy to understand. But 
you have to open the 401k, then you have to read about index funds, you have to do all this. So status quo bias is just you find a reason not to do the thing you're doing because you're afraid of being uncomfortable. Not that you're lazy, you're just afraid of being uncomfortable. Um, And, you know, it it comes into investing a lot. I think people, um, it's so overwhelming that they just tell themselves, oh, well, investing is, uh, is risky. It's too risky for me. You know, in fact, it's really not that risky, you know, over time, if you look at the data, but it's just an easy way. It's just a status quo bias in action. It's an easy way to justify the fact that you're not doing it and you have your money in like a low interest savings account. Yeah. Well, and like you, I could see you made a financial decision many years ago and, you know, I'm going to have this much insurance, but as your family grows and your life changes, I guess there's a point you got to you can't just keep going with what you've been going with. You got to actually open your brain up and be thinking. Yeah, I think a lot of times there is some impetus that uh, you know motivates you to change that bias. Um but it would be awesome if you didn't need that and you could just think, well, maybe I'm doing this because I'm uncomfortable with it and just go for the uncomfortable thing. But of course, we don't right. like to do that. No, 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 no. That's hard. Uh, is there anything we can do just as we wrap up? Is there anything we can do about these biases? Is, it, is there something we can do to to stop it? Well, you know, I really there are some, you know, small tips here and there. But I think the biggest thing is to just recognize it. Just read about it. Be aware of how your brain is working and admit that money is has a lot more to do with behavior and psychology than it does math. Because I think a lot of times we get tripped up on the numbers and we, we think that it's about my budget is just something's wrong with it. The budget's wrong. I got to redo my budget when really right. it's no, you just have to fix your habits and your behavior. And if you can focus on that, um, and just recognize it, it'll change. It'll change a lot. That's good. Good stuff. Well, Kristen, we appreciate you and your great, uh, work. And we suggest everybody go check out Kristen's website, kristenwong.com, kristenwong.com, where you can get more of her great articles. Um, she's a wonderful writer and you can find her all over. She's, She's published everywhere. So uh, we'll take a break. Come back, folks. Again, it's about thinking about your thinking. That's that's huge. It's important. We'll take a break. Come back and continue our own little uh, discussion here. This is the Matt Townsend Show. We'll be right back. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. It really is interesting how we don't ever evaluate our thinking. You know, sometimes we just go in and, well, I'm here. I may as well pick up a few more things. Great. Super efficient. However, it might end up costing you. Um, and so, you know, it's one thing. We got, we got to make sure we're paying attention. We got to make sure our head is in the game. And one of the goals of the show is to give you just more insight, more ideas into how your head works and how you think and feel. It's also to help you see the good in the world. And as we just have only a few more minutes um, of this uh, hour, I, I wanted – I found the just – these are just one of these happy moments I find. And I'm checking out I think Facebook or something and I found this cute little story about a boy in a bathtub and his dad's bathing him and mom's filming with uh, the phone. And he just has the funniest laugh you've ever heard that it made me happy. So uh, this is I – ju- I just wanted to share it. Here we go. <laughs> now, listen to the parents. Dad. 
you got to watch his face. He sounds like he's crying. The reality is, life's hard. You know, you got to pay the bills. You're worried about all of these issues. Brexit, Zika, everything that ever comes up. Will Trump ruin the world? Is Hillary Clinton really going to be indicted? And then you go put your kid in the tub and you're just bathing your kid and you have this really pure, perfect little family moment, right? That's what it's about right there, right there. Everything else aside, it's about moms, dads, babies, kids, time, family, love. That's what it's about. <sighs> I usually think life's hard and then you die. Yeah. That usually helps out pretty That's why we don't good. give you a microphone, Ben. Well. <laughs> you, um, it's good, Ben. It's good. Then you don't always die. Sometimes you just get to bathe your kids. Fun stuff. We'll take a break. Come back. Wrap up the last hour. We're there, folks. Stick with us. This is the Matt Townsend Show, helping you see the good in the world. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Your guide on the side. Follow Dr. Matt on Twitter at Dr. Matt Show. Call the show at 1-855-CHAT-BYU. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt Townsend. Now on BYU Radio. BYU Radio. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show, hour number three of the show and the final of the week, which means, man, we got a lot of uh, we got a lot of stuff we got to do today. Of course, bring you the latest and greatest, because it's not just Friday, folks. It's National Senses Day. Five senses, seeing, hearing, smelling, tasting, touching. Oh, Oh, yeah, that's good stuff. The five senses. Do you remember them? <laughs> that was good music. Straight from Ben's iPod. I was watching a documentary about a sixth sense. Yeah. I think it was a movie. I think that's a different sense. That's the I See Dead People movie. I See Dead People. Yeah, yeah. that's what it was. It was. Yeah, that was not a documentary. Yeah. yeah. Really? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> when you see Bruce Willis, yeah. well, I, it's not a documentary. I thought that kind of validated it. Like you yeah. see all these celebrities talking about these issues. It's Not weird. Bruce Willis. Uh, Bruce Willis. Really? He might be in a documentary, but I think you can err on the side that it's probably a movie and be safe. It's probably more likely a documentary would be done ab- about Bruce. Mm. Right? Yes. Yeah. So there are only five. Yeah. Let's keep it to five right now. Okay. Yeah. Maybe maybe there'll be others. But we know a five. It's the it's National Senses Day, so make sure you've checked into your five senses. Make sure they're all working. It's an important thing. Also, it's Take Your Dog to Work Day. Um, easy. That dog needs a drink. That dog's getting dehydrated. Yeah. You know, it's crazy. We'll we'll be talking throughout the show of the animals that are. There's a lot of animal attacks, and we're going to talk about a hero at the end of the show, a mother that was seriously, like, bad to the bone, willing to rip a mountain lion off of her son by grabbing the mountain lion's mouth. Yeah, I read that like, whoa. (sighs) So 
We'll get to all of that, of course, plus just some other fun stuff we've we, we got to get into because it's it's Friday. We have a lot of news stories that we haven't been able to get to, So, but we want to, we want to kind of flush them, we call it. So we'll be doing a news flush as well, plus a new uh, – we're going to be doing a new um, scientific experiment. Hmm. You've heard of the Rorschach test, right? I have. Right, the ink blot test. So, you know, as somebody that works a lot with people and a, as a doctor myself – I um I wanted to I wanted to have some form of being able to help my team and the people I work with yeah. and by better understanding how they think. Mm. This is good. But I thought it'd also be fun um if we could simultaneously make it something that our people could listen to that are that are our friends that follow us. Okay. So we're going to have what we call Radio Rorschach. Okay. Which is It's uh, like an audio version an of audio, the Inkblot yeah. test. Yeah. And we will play a sound for one of our team, and then the team member is, has to not tell us what the sound is, but what comes to their mind Ooh. when they think of the sound. Okay, but wouldn't that wouldn't that be the same thing? Of what? Like you hear a splat, and you think, "Well, that's this." I don't know, Terry. Would it? I don't know. I think I think we're getting. We should probably start with Terry. <laughs> well, like someone might hear a splat and say, "That makes me feel vulnerable." Yes, that makes me feel mm. like a, like I just murdered a bug. Yeah, I don't know if that's what the reaction would be. So we'll get to that. Also, our good buddies at BYU Sports Nation will find out what's coming up on their show at the top of the hour and then the hero of the day. We'll get to all of that. But first, let's get to the headlines with Caitlin Thomas. Caitlin, what's going on around the rest of the country? Well, Matt, President Obama lamented the Supreme Court's Thursday ruling on immigration as, quote, unfortunate. So, again, we're talking about the immigration thing here. And we have another split vote with the Supreme Court. Then the Supreme Court voted 4-3 to three on Thursday to uphold affirmative action in a case brought against the program at the University of Texas, Austin. In Texas, the law guarantees admission to any student who has graduated in the top 10% of his or her high school class. The remaining enrollments go to students who are considered for other factors such as race. Bernie Sanders has yet to formally concede the Democratic nomination to Hillary Clinton, but he told MSNBC this morning that he plans to vote for her this November. He says, I think the issue right here is I'm going to do everything I can to defeat Donald Trump. So going forward, he added, what my job right now is to is to fight for the strongest possible platform in the Democratic Convention. So there you go, Bernie Sanders. And now, Matt, to end your headlines yes. for this weekend, maybe we've got a really good story for you. Maybe these these men were planning an epic party. Who knows? But police in Atlanta say thieves stole two refrigerated trucks. What? Carrying 3,272 cases of beer. Oh, boy. Or about 78,500 bottles worth $90,000. From a craft cow. brewery on Tuesday. By the time officers tracked down the trucks, both of them were empty. <laughs> about a quarter of the stolen cases were later found at a warehouse, but will be destroyed over storage concerns. So... Police say to keep a lookout for sweet water brewings, summer variety cases of beer. Uh, if I were going to wager. That's an epic party. I'm just going to say that right now. They're going to have a good weekend. House. Yeah. Check the frat house. Check the frat house. And uh, check. The thing is, is there the, the trucks were emptied. That's what. Yeah. But when you've got, you know, 30 kids from Camp Winnemucca-Tucka. Yeah, but only two people. Two people stole all this beer. So unless they no. met up with a group of people two and they emptied it out. Two people were the drivers. And then they met about 30 other, I'm going <laughs> to bet, 
teens. It's a teenagers. pretty it's a pretty epic plan if you ask me. Yes, that's crazy. Well, so there you have it. Okay, well Caitlin, thank you. Have a great weekend. I'm out. Stay away from beer trucks. Man, that's crazy. We uh we got a great uh we got a great show. We got to talk about Brexit for a minute, folks. This isn't this is the real deal. You may have heard it's official. Uh Great Britain, they voted. They're leaving the EU. And along with their exit from the EU, Prime Minister Cameron is going to quit, and the markets are taking a, a hit. The markets have been sliding quite a bit. I think the Dow is down uh, 500 points or so. Was that what you said earlier, Terry? Yes, that was the report I saw. So uh, it's a serious deal. And it also then kind of has this weird echo of what Trump and Trump's movement a little bit where, you know, close the borders, shut down the country – Keep people out, which which is very uh, parallel to what's going on with Brexit. And I don't know. It's a it's a serious, serious deal. It also makes you wonder if other people are going to follow. Apparently, Germany and France, they also have. Well, some politicians have brought it up. Yeah, they're starting to say, hey, maybe this is not smart that we're a part of the union anymore. Meanwhile, all the small countries in the union are <laughs> probably like, hey. Come on, guys. Yeah. All, all these countries have chosen to link their financial present and future, and now big pieces of it are just, you know, possibly looking at trying to move on, and right. then they're left with this union, what's left of it. If, if, like, Germany goes, then there goes your bank. Yeah, right. Right. And then the, the financial end of it all was, was England. Mm-hmm. And they're moving away. If so. France goes, what are you going to eat in the right. EU? Where's your big? Where's your baguettes going to come from? Right. <laughs> Such a good point. Again, this is the insight you don't get on any other show. Wow. What do you mean, wow? Just wow. The depths that we'll go. Yeah. Oh, the depth that we will go. <laughs> the places we will go. Um, also, some headlines. Uh, Donald Trump was over in Scotland. Scotland. Which is now Scotta Go. Apparently, yes. Scotland, and he's he's making news by launching a brand new, I guess, golf course, making making announcements about they, his new they course. They reopened oh, – I forget the name of the golf course. Turnbull, I think. Something mm. like that. But they opened Turnberry. They op- reopened it. There's a new hotel. And so he starts the press conference when Brexit just happened, and you're running for president yeah. of the United States, and you're over in Scotland – and so you talk about the golf course and how wonderful it is and the hotel that we just remodeled it. It's great. It's wonderful. And all the reporters are asking you about Brexit, but he wants to talk about his hotel. <laughs> Again, and, and a CNN reporter was like, what in the world? You're not going to mention the biggest event in the last well, decade in Great Britain. He's running for president. He's in another country and no leader in that country – is going to talk to him or wants to talk to him. No, they've no. all said that they they one they're busy because they've just decided to yeah. ignore him, change ignore their him. economic picture. But at the same time, they've said they're not going to talk to him. Like in in past elections, Mitt Romney's gone over yeah. and talked to members of oh, yeah. you know government of other countries. Well, yeah, he and uh, Obama went over there several times mm-hmm. while he was running, and you're able to look presidential standing next to other world leaders, right? But other world leaders are really kind of not wanting to stand next to Donald Trump at the moment. Like, avoid him. Interesting. So, uh, you know, all is well, we're saying. Donald's on it. 
I mean, he'll get to it after he gets the golf course going and talks about the amenities on the course. Apparently, during the press conference, because he had his his prepared, not really prepared, but he had the things he wanted to say. And then when they opened it up for questions, one of the reporters asked, have you been in touch with your foreign policy advisors on what's going on? And he says, there's really not not a lot going on in the world right now. (laughs) And uh, so I haven't really talked to them much, but we'll be talking later. Man. <laughs> so this was this morning right after yeah. you know the United Kingdom decides to or yeah. that Britain decides to leave the the union. So I now, you know nothing's going on. Did it's you not, hear not, you you I know you heard this latest uh this latest headline. Um Hillary Clinton she's she's believe it or not maybe getting in a little trouble now because she's missing 75 calendar entries. Right. W- apparently meetings Possibly donors, possibly who are these people, and it's not listed anywhere on their yeah, like breakfast, certain things. But these would have been on our itinerary. Mm-hmm. But and th- so the idea is, you should. We always want to leave all of this information there because these are our elected officials, so it should be very open. We should always know what they're doing. Right. And the law says just keep everything there. Mm-hmm. Those are all just the records of what you did, and seventy-five. Calendar events have apparently been deleted. Yes. You know what she's doing. Pilates. Is that what it is? It's pol- It's Pilates. She's getting breakfast with friends uh-huh. or – Yeah. And she okay. doesn't want to talk about it. bowling in the Hamptons. Okay. I mean you don't want to like – you don't want to look like you're slacking. So everybody thinks it's like nefarious. It's like she's out there doing something. But she's it's, not. She's bowling. It's she's, more the idea that we don't know what it is and yeah. she was secretary of state. Yeah. Oh, we know what she was doing. And, and that on top of emails that are missing. There was yesterday a, a specific email from one of her aides that has a lot of, uh, I guess, a lot of information in it that's missing when it comes mm. to kind of the picture of her itinerary, right. things that she's doing. And that email is just gone. Well, where did it go? Nobody knows and no one's talking. We know nothing. No, it could be nothing, but the problem, it just comes down to if it's nothing, then explain what it is. Yeah. Look, I had private things mm-hmm. that I was doing. Okay, like what? You are so nosy. She she just wants everyone to get out of her business. Right. Except her business was the people's business at that time. Did, has anybody asked her if she where she was when those two beer trucks were taken? No. I'm just saying. Yeah. I, I mean, I don't want to... I don't want to say she did it. Right. But we don't know. You don't want to just point fingers, but. Mm. I mean. Do we know? I don't know. I, uh, Where were they taken? Um, I, re- I read it somewhere. People are, are talking about it. I'm just telling you what they're saying. Yeah. We're not. Yeah. Allegedly. Yeah. I don't even say allegedly. I just wonder. I just. I'm just trying to just ask questions. I'm just. Uh, I don't even. I just ask questions. <laughs> I'll get back to you with my source <laughs> on the information. Find out. Uh, also, um, does anybody know where she is today, like right now? I haven't heard from her. I don't know. Though I haven't been really, you know, seeking out her input on Because I thought I read somewhere years ago that she died. Hillary Clinton? And this isn't even the real Hillary. No. It's a conspiracy theory. Yeah. Now check it out. National Enquirer. That's where I found it the first time. Okay. Um, okay. It's a, it's a source. Again, a tool, a source for you. We're giving you the information you don't need sometimes and sometimes you do need. And sometimes... 
It's irrelevant, but uh, hey, it's here and it's free. So enjoy it. We will take a break when we come back. We have got uh, two really fun episodes coming up. One is what we call the flush, the news flush, where we, Terry and I, collect a lot of stories during the week and we need to get rid of them. And the only way we've ever found to do that is just to flush them. So we will just hammer through a bunch of crazy information, news stories that are out there, flush those away. Then, holy cow, we're debuting a new episode on The Matt Townsend Show called Radio Rorschach. It's the ink blot test done through sound. And our first vict- – our first – not victim. That sounds negative. Our first uh, – our first partner. Patient. Not even patient. Is going to be Sadie Nielsen, our new producer, who also is responsible for social media and making sure that uh, Terry finds the good in the world. We are we're focusing on all that. She'll be here. We're going to understand her brain better by you know playing some sounds for her and finding out what she thinks of when she hears certain sounds. Stick with us. This is the Matt Townsend Show. We'll be right back. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. We, uh, we, we, we have this segment every Friday called the News Flush. And uh, we like to, in the flush, get rid of the stories that need to go. Wow. This sounds official. This is official. We're here to flush it, folks. Oh, yeah. I remember this. Remember? Yeah. Well, you're the producer. I know. I kind of... Found Did we sneak up on you? No, I just was. Yeah. Uh, my first news flush story: LAPD cops are ordered to treat homeless people with compassion. Oh, that's nice. I don't know what they were doing before. Yeah, apparently, but apparently, not. arresting, shooting, and ticketing homeless people hasn't accomplished much in a way of ending homelessness. The Los Angeles Police Department has decided that they're going to try another alternative, a more gentle approach instead. It's called compassion with empathy, and their job now is to treat the homeless people with that love, with empathy, uh, according to the Los Angeles Times. The rules instruct officers to offer homeless people information about housing, medical, and psychological services. They also are going to, um, you know, make sure that uh, that the people maybe get uh, better guidance for where to sleep in safer places and oh, okay. where to uh, – live a healthier way on the street. So help them out. Yeah. It's a, it's of... a new policy from the LAPD. So congratulations to them. <laughs> a good story flushed. <laughs> we talked earlier uh, a couple weeks ago about some of the uh, over expenditures on some research that's going on that's funded by the federal government. Senator Jeff Flake from Arizona kind of looked into it and found a bunch of weird things going on. like. Yeah. Uh, who's who's more attractive, uh, conservatives or liberal females? And they started judging women's faces for science, I guess, or something. Oh, really? Yeah, it was really odd study. Are you allowed to do that? That sounds I, They horrible. did. They did. But um, they did another study. He found emotico- which emoticons college kids like to use the most. That cost five five hundred sixty nine thousand uh, dollars. Who has what has more hair, a squirrel or a bumblebee? That was seven hundred fifty three thousand dollars. <laughs> How long does it take? Uh, we won't do that one. Um, Three point <laughs> nine million was granted to a study that makes uh, what makes a gold fi- a goldfish feel attractive. That was three point nine million. One point one to the University of California to see if cheerleaders are more attractive with their squads or without them. It just sounds like an excuse to look at cheerleaders. So does the team make me look yeah. fat? 
This one is funny. Uh, three federal agencies, the University of Utah and a branch of the University of California, have spent years in taxpayer dollars studying if the mighty T-Rex could run fast. To do so, they put an alligator on a treadmill and created a virtual chicken the size of a T-Rex and put them head-to-head with the virtual T-Rex. Uh, what do you think they learned from the study, Matt? Nothing. Yeah, they learned that it's moot because the results are paradoxical since the biological characteristics of an alligator appear to be, appear to be inconsistent with that of a T-Rex. I could have told them that. Yeah, so they, they spent a ton of money on that. By the way, they do have the same length of arms, though. <laughs> they do. Another one was cardio for mountain lions. <laughs> Pick uh, it up, Leo. University of Rochester studied how bored monkeys like to gamble and play video games. <laughs> uh, Nothing worse than a bored monkey in a bar. What was the one I read here? That, I mean, these are just just ridiculous. One. Uh, a health a grant to study the – this was at Ohio State, $387,000. The benefits of Swedish massage on bunny rabbits. Are you kidding me? <laughs> bunny, do you like that? <laughs> you like bunny? <laughs> tap, 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 tap. His little legs tapping. Good just grief. ridiculous studies, lots of money. Apparently, on some level, mm-hmm. it would serve some purpose, but yeah. it needs to be flushed. Sometimes. Well, I mean, and honestly, flush it for crying out loud. Hey, uh, did you hear about Cristiano Ronaldo? You've heard of him. Yes, I have. Wealthiest. Uh, apparently makes player. more money than any other uh, athlete in the world, apparently. Yeah. And so they're interviewing him in Portugal. Did you hear? Did you see this? I did. <laughs> he got mad. He's just, he's got, by the way, he's got like more bodyguards around him mm-hmm. than anybody I've ever seen. I mean, it's like when I walk in with my entourage, right you now. And um, uh, Ronaldo's talking, and a guy walks up and asks him a question, and the defensive Ronaldo just grabs his microphone right out of his hand and throws it in the lake. Bloop. <laughs> Done. It's like, don't like that question. I don't like it. Yeah. Uh, well, like, it's basically why, why are you having, you know, why did you, what was it? Oh, Portugal tied with Iceland in the Euro 2016, and Ronaldo had plenty of excuses and criticisms mm. for his opponents. So this reporter went up and asked him about that and bloop, threw it away. Just tossed the microphone. Anyway, it needs to flush. Uh, we occasionally, more, more than occasionally, I bring it up pretty much every time I find one, food. Mm. Food that's out there, a little bit odd. Maybe Matt likes it. Maybe like he doesn't. Food. Sometimes it's cookies. Food, good. We talked about the Mac and Cheetos mm. the other day. Heaven on Earth. So everybody else on all over the just news. got his wings. Taco Bell. Yeah. They're now wrapping tacos in fried chicken. They're wrapping tacos in fried chicken. Taco Bell was trying to reinvent the taco shell. Okay. Because the ingredients of the taco are kind of what they're going to be. Oh, that's it. Make right? it a chicken. So try to, they've done the Doritos taco shells. Oh, those are good though. So, cause you got that nice fine powder that mm-hmm. may or may not cause some sort of malady. Uh, taco Bell is now producing a chalupa wrapped in fried chicken. They call it the, the naked chicken chalupa, which is the latest in Taco Bell's string of weird taco shells. You don't need to add the word naked. It was on there. They're just trying to sell things. Uh, it's been testing in, uh, Bakersfield, California in, since September. Then they brought it to Kansas City in April because you got to test market these things. Yeah. And they're prepping it for its nationwide debut. The fried chicken shell in this so-called chalupa is stuffed with vegetables, cheese, avocado, ranch. And somehow – and the consumers who have tested mm. it find the product uh, healthy. I don't think we want to flush this one. You like that one? This one sounds good. Uh, fried chicken ah. and a taco in the middle of it. Mm. 
What do you think? That sounds good. Okay. But, I mean, it's a bad idea. <laughs> it's just let, you know, the Chalupa, I think the Chalupa was the great invention. It was. Don't mess with it anymore. Now they want to, you know, reinvent the taco shell. So, Matt, what does Chalupa mean in Spanish? Chalupa means, get off my back. Wow. You Chalupa? Wow. No, that's not what it means. I don't, I don't even know what it means. I don't means. think I ever used uh, – I don't, I don't think I ever had a chalupa uh, in Spanish. I don't think I've ever heard of that word. Um, guess what? Hmm. Um, you know the, the saying is you don't eat yellow snow? Yes. Another color snow you shouldn't eat? Okay. Pink snow. Okay. It that looks works. awesome, but apparently it's another sign that climate change is uh, is wreaking havoc on our on our world. Hmm. Some call it pink snow. Some call it watermelon snow. Mommy, can I have some watermelon snow? Well, it's actually algae. Ooh. And the Arctic explorers have observed it for centuries. It is a result of red algae that looks uh, that likes to bloom in frozen water. And according to the study, it then, you know, it, it uh, alters the color of the ice. But the presence of more and more red algae is showing is happening because of global warming. Right. So if you come across uh, any snow, you know, today, that's a miracle because it's 120 degrees in Phoenix. But if you come across red snow, uh, the Matt Townsend show, as a warning, we suggest you don't go near it because it's not, not, it's good, not for you. good for you. Yeah. So that is a story that uh, we need to get rid of. Flush it. So now uh, we, we've heard – President Obama has a love affair with his BlackBerry. Yes. He's one of the last people on the planet to use the BlackBerry, apparently. <laughs> um, but but apparently the BlackBerry's gone. It, where did it go? He's got a new smartphone. What? As it says here, though, it's been severely dumbed down. So it's a dumb phone. So it might oh, be it's a like dumb Ben's phone. phone. It Is might it a be flip like, phone? It might be like Ben's phone. Uh, it says, during an appearance on the, on the Tonight Show, Obama told Jimmy Fallon that instead of a BlackBerry, he now carries an unnamed smartphone. That for security reasons cannot take photos, it can't play music, it can't send texts, or even make phone calls. Wow. It's a phone? That's what he called it. It almost doesn't sound like a phone. He even makes mention of watching uh, in, uh, watching enviously at his daughters and the first ladies. They use more modern devices while he's forced to use a feature-poor device. But the commander-in-chief can take heart. In just a matter of months, he'll be able to get whatever phone he wants. Someday, Mr. President, you can get any phone you want. Right. But at the moment, he can't have an unsecured device. Wow. So they, they, they got a BlackBerry for him initially, and they yeah. altered it and made it so it would function like they needed to. And now that's gone, and he has an unnamed smartphone. Could be a jitterbug. We don't know. It's No, it's a cricket. Is it a cricket? <laughs> Mr. President, where's your cricket? Hey, last story I've got to flush is... Uh, the, 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 they're saying this guy's the dad of the year. It's a really interesting story. A son had um, cancer. A, 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 a child basically had cancer, and um, he needed a, he needed an operation. And the operation left a really, I mean, a really kind of ugly scar on this little boy's head, uh, in the shape of a C. And so uh, little Gabriel um, would would basically walk around with his cancer cancer surgery scar and it made him feel different it made him feel weird so the dad ended up shaving his head bald like his son and then he went out and had a tattoo put on his head in the exact same shape and look like his son's tattoo so that he they could look alike 
and uh, which is, I think, a, a beautiful thing. I'm not into tattoos. I don't, I don't like that necessarily usually. But as a dad, look what he's doing. He's he's protecting his kid and helping his kid feel um, normal and and healthy. So powerful uh, example right there, folks. Of a dad, and we're flushing you in a good way because we had to get rid of the story. Okay, we're going to take a break. When we come back, we're going to be uh, undertaking a new adventure, folks. It's called Rorschach for Radio. It's the ink blot test, and we're going to be working on the mind of Sadie Nielsen, our one of our new members of our team. She is our. Uh, she really is. She's incredible on Twitter and is teaching us so much about how to uh, tweet and all social media. So uh, stick with us. We're going to get into her brain, folks. This is the Matt Townsend Show. We'll be right back. Welcome back, everybody, to the Matt Townsend Show and a new segment on the show. Uh, you know, with the advent of new technology, we bring you a 21st century approach to yesteryear's psychoanalytic approach of the Rorschach test. Used to be that we would just uh, give somebody an inkblot test. They'd look at it and we could dig deep into their brain by seeing how they think, how they interpret and evaluate information. Well, we're doing radio Rorschach where we won't have ink blots, but instead audio just going to play a little sound and then we're going to find out what people think and how their brain works our first victim or uh, better called our first friend of the show sadie nielsen joins us sadie welcome to the show thank you matt sadie's brand new to the family i am brand new have you have you gotten adjusted um are they treating you well yeah yeah, I'm doing pretty good. I mean, Ben, you know. No, we do. We yeah. do. Okay, okay. And we told him not to, okay? <laughs> and he said he won't anymore. So HR's on that, okay. just so you know. Thank you. Uh, <laughs> Sadie's actually got a police report filed it, already. Is By that way, what the email I got this morning's yeah, about? Uh-huh. Okay. And that was the fastest police report ever filed. Yeah, the by, by one of our team members. I was surprised about you. I was really impressed with HR. Oh, yeah. I know. Good job. I think we're, we're learning. So here's the deal: uh, how this works, Sadie. We're going to play a sound for you. Okay. And I want you to just think of the first. Don't describe the sound because everyone will hear the sound. Right. I just want you to tell us when you hear this sound, what do you think of? Just like one word. And it doesn't have to be one word, but what's the first thought that comes to your mind? Okay. Where this sound has happened. All right. Okay. Mm-hmm. So let's just go with sound number one. Farm. Farm. Tell us about your farm days, Sadie. I once was a sheep herder. <laughs> wow. Hold on. I got to write this down. You were a sheep herder. And um, in Arizona? No. Vietnam? No. Uh, where? Uh, Minnesota. Wow. Yeah. Minnesota. Yeah. <laughs> and um, positive sound or negative sound for you? Definitely positive. Really? Yeah. Have I like ever, the sheep. Have you ever been bit by a sheep? No. Kicked, but not bit. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You were a sheep herder. Mm-hmm. Okay. Here's the next, here's the next sound. Oh, wow. man. That was a good one. Uh, First thought. Movie theater. Really? Yeah. <laughs> Why? Has, have you ever had that happen to you at a movie theater? Let's hear it again. Oh, is that you falling down the stairs and dropping your 
popcorn in your drink? Drink and everything just falls down. Yep. On the person in front of you. Yep. Has that happened? Not to me, but to people that have been at the movie theater with me. Yes. Is that when you brought your sheep? Yeah. Okay. (laughs) I think I understand. Next sound. Ooh. Airplane. Definitely airplane. That sounded like an airplane. Flying through the sky. Let's hear that again. Airplane. Is that what you think? Soaring above the sky. Have you been in an airplane that sounded like that? Yeah. Like that? And it sounded like that? Mm. Perhaps I have. That's an airplane Maybe you don't want to sound. Maybe it was a dream sound. or something. Yeah, you don't want to be in an airplane <laughs> like that. I think that is actually a butterfly kiss. Really? That a dad's giving his cute little baby on his belly. Huh. Let's hear yeah. it again. Totally. Wow. Did you not know that? That's impressive. There is no right or wrong answer here, but uh, I'm pretty sure that was a butterfly kiss. Oh, there we go. It was a butterfly kiss. Uh, let's have the next sound. What does that remind you? It's at first it was gonna I was gonna say a horse drinking out of a stream. Okay. But that, I don't think that's what that's it is. That's not it. Let's hear it again. Ah, uh, a kitty purring. A, a kitty purring and sleeping. Mm-hmm. Actually, no. That is a horse chewing on a kitty. Oh. While it was sleeping. Well, Let's hear it one more time. That's awful. For their friends. No, and no animal was harmed in the making of that sound. That is good to know. I feel it's better about that now. Your mind is very pure. Uh, let's do the final one. Oh, oh there no. you go. Wait, can you play that one more time? Your eyes went really big. I think that was a dog getting hit by a car. Are you serious? It's going to make me tear up a little bit. <laughs> She's getting teary. Let's hear it one more time. Yeah. Yeah, no, that's not a dog. Oh, no? Mm-mm. Oh, okay. No. It's some sort of animal. No. No? Play it again. That's got to be an animal. No, it's no? a it's a wrapper spinning a vinyl. Oh. <laughs> yeah, while driving in a car that hits a box in the road. A box. All right. Okay. Man, your your mind's a little darker than we thought. <laughs> that sounded like a dog getting hit by a car. Yeah, definitely. Wow. <laughs> Jeez, Sadie. I think we've learned a lot. Uh, sheep herder with a pretty clean mind until you get to animals getting hit, and then when you thought that animal was hit, your eyes teared up. Yeah, I think that's a sociopath. Um, Whoa, 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 whoa. No, no, no. She's, yeah. She, well, whatever. She's super empathic is really more. Oh, it's really? a healthy path, not a sociopath. Okay. Yeah. She's very loving and healthy and a great sheep herder. I usually just jump to sociopath yeah. when I'm talking about psychology. Well, sure. You kind of, that's, we call that, that's a selection error because you've heard that so much from your therapist. Oh. Anyway, <laughs> uh, welcome aboard, Sadie. Thank you. Love having you. You're Thank going you so to much. do so well. We know that already. And, um, if you go follow our Twitter page, you're going to get to know Sadie really well because mm-hmm. she's all over the Twitter sphere at Dr. Matt Show. But she's also going to be helping in so many other ways. My Instagram page, mm-hmm. LinkedIn, Facebook. She's doing it all. Yeah. Follow us. We want to get some new people to like and share and 
find out what you want from us. Exactly. Tell us because, by the way, we're very open. Very open. To ideas. Sadie Nielsen, thanks. You Thank passed you. the Rorschach Radio. We'll uh, take a break, folks. When we come back, our good buddies at BYU Sports Nation will be with us. Sit tight. We'll be back in a minute. I'm singing in the rain. Just singing in the rain. What a glorious feeling. I'm happy. Welcome back, everybody, to the Matt Townsend Show. Singing in the rain. Oh, if it were just raining. Wouldn't that be great? Cool the whole country down. But, uh, you know, it's not going to happen. Let's go down to our good buddies at BYU Sports Nation. Find out uh, what these two cool cats are doing. Hello, gentlemen. Hello. Do you know that Gene Kelly is one of the greatest dancers of all time? I, I thought, second to you, that he was the greatest. Seriously. Have you watched what mm. they can really do? I, I have watched feet. it, but it sounds like I've never with the with the, you obviously are energized by that. They are so talented, different era for sure. Yeah, but in beautiful. their own right and in their own craft, elite, amazing what they could do. Do you wish we still made movies where you know Gene Kelly could could dance and and do his work? Well, I think they are making movies like that, right? Like Into the Woods. Oh, are they? No, but I don't like no, they're, they're making musicals. Well, yeah, but I know I'm talking more like just mainstream. Like we're just doing, it, and then you can have like Ben Affleck out there just <laughs> tapping it out. Well, they're not mainstream for a reason. The people don't want them as much. Oh, listen to the pessimist that hates dancers. <laughs> the pessimist. That's what the pe- the pe- what people want. They spend time and money on. That's it. That's true. Like if you don't get good ratings on TV, the people don't want it. They don't want it. That doesn't it. mean it's bad. It's not just not their flavor. But don't you think you could put together a Star Trek musical that would and dance that would be just a, a major hit? No, or else it would have already been done. That's a good point. Granted, they did do the Grease remake, and that got crazy good ratings. Yeah, yeah. And that's more of that style. Mm-hmm. We need we need more TV. of that. We, I think, have you guys thought of having a dance routine on your show? We've already had a dance routine on our show. You have? Uh-huh. Really? Who well, led? on social media, we did touchdown dance celebrations in Las Vegas, recapping some of yeah, the most, like, some oh, of the most iconic moments of yeah. BYU football in 2015. That was born out of this. Okay. Oh, fun story. So we're at the uh, Sam Boyd Stadium in Las Vegas. We're waiting for kind of our, our setup to get done. And so we, we we're kind of just hanging out. There wasn't anything for us to do. So we were on the field. Uh, meanwhile, the Jabberwockies are rehearsing their thing. They're not in costume either. So we're just watching them. We're like, hey, this is free Jabberwockies. This is great. So then we're on the field, and we, we're just chucking the football around. Then we recorded a, uh, like a Twitter or YouTube video of the, our impersonations of the uh, Hail Marys from the season. Ah. Different touchdowns. It was fun. But mainly it was about the Jabwalkies. That's what I was getting at. You were, again, for, for those of us that don't go to Vegas as much as you guys, uh, what is a Jabberwocky? They're like the, like the five dudes that wear like the white masks and all black. Yeah. And they dance. And they dance. Yeah. And you, you should, seriously, YouTube the Jabberwockies. I'm on it right now. They will blow you away. Really? Oh, they're unbelievable. Like, hang on to the table you're watching it at. J-A-B-B-A-W-O-C-K-E-E-Z. That was way too many letters. That Jabba is a Wockies. lot of vowels. Um, so, ooh, yes. 
Oh, they were the ones at the NBA Finals. Uh-huh. uh-huh. And in the NBA All-Star with, with game Shaq. a few years back. Yes. Yes. Oh, those guys are good. Yeah, they were really That's good. That's so a Jabberwocky. Cool. Yes. I thought that was something that the doctor had to incise. Up until BYU decided to get back in the football <laughs> game against Utah, they were the best thing going in the Vegas Bowl. <laughs> they were killing it. That's so true. Hey, uh, I think, I think you're on to something with this dancing thing. I think you guys need a little halftime show moment where you, there's a dance-off thing. And you can you guys mask up so we don't know who's who, and then you do a little jabberwocky just in the middle of your show. Like, hey, it's an idea. Like, you know? Ja- like, you know, like dancer girls, dancer guys, right? I guarantee your ratings would go Western through the roof. Western girls. <laughs> the East and Down is out of boys. <laughs> See, we wouldn't even need music. You guys could sing <laughs> and dance. Oh, man, I can't. Yeah, baby! <laughs> I can't stop watching the Jabberwockies. What's the name of that song that Jerem just brought up? I don't West know. End Girls. Yeah, yeah, you know the song. Yeah. Is it West End? Uh, I didn't, is it I, West I End Girls? Western. Let me find out. I, I don't know. They Let me, oh, I've got, I put West End. I always thought it was West End Girls. But, <laughs> like oh, on the West oh, hold End on. Town. Pet or... Shop Boys, West End Girls. West, West End, end Girls. Okay. <laughs> yeah, because they're in the West End of town. You know the West End. The West End. The dead end of the world. That's uh see guys again we should come back next time we'll play a little pet shop boys for you guys and maybe you could do a little you know singing in a west end town in a dead end world the east end boys and the west end girls oh my lord changed the entire song for me that is good the full lyrics are on google so if you guys will go work those out that would be great <laughs> Nah, it's got to be fun, too. West End Girls. Yes. Yeah, baby. <laughs> the 80s. I oh, love the 80s Don't so you much. miss the 80s? <laughs> oh, and my OP pants. I was zero to seven years old. Your so OP pants. Do you remember those? Of course I do. Ocean and, Pacific, yeah. man. C- corduroys, are, they say they're coming back. Corduroys are coming yeah, back? Yeah, apparently. I shouldn't be surprised. Everything has come back. Tapered jeans came back, and I thought, though, I still think those are an abomination. I hate tapered jeans because I can't get my feet through them. What in the world? <laughs> Once you get them on, you can never get them off. Why, why are tapered jeans a, a good thing? No, bad, bad. Ever? Yeah, and I never like corduroys because just, they just heat your thighs up. Nothing worse than that. Good in the cold Utah winter. That's exactly right. <laughs> it's some heated thighs. But it's in the summer that's the last thing you need. Oh, my goodness. It's horrible. Hey, um, you guys, did you know it's take your dog to work day today? I did not know that. I don't have a dog, so it doesn't really apply to me. Uh, Jaron, do you have a dog? I don't. Do you guys want one? I've, I found one here today. Somebody brought it. A three-year-old daughter that loves to act like a dog and a cat and a big baby tiger. Oh, cute! As she says, is she, is she, is she have her shots? I think so. Yeah, I always check for that. Just kidding. You don't want to know. Are you guys doing your show today? We are certainly doing our show today. And it's not going to have any. Uh, what are they called? Jacka Jabberwockies. Jabberwockies. Oh, these guys are good. They're so cool. They are cool. How do you even know they're guys? Uh, because we saw them the out of costume. <gasps> oh, you did. Yeah, that's. I not went supposed out of my way happen. to go introduce myself to them. Did they're you? Super, they're super quiet and nice. Yeah. 
This is okay. They you said sh- they watch the show every day too. That was yeah, they, wow. That was Huge great. fans of BYU sports. Big They're like, fans. oh, we love the Matt Townsend. Jabberwockies who love yeah. BYU radio. We love this. Yeah. Will take a while. They loved all of it. Oh my heavens! <laughs> they are I'm pretty st- sure they didn't know who was playing in the Las Vegas Bowl. No. Seriously? <laughs> yeah, <I'm> sure. <laughs> not, not a joke. They're like, oh, this is for a football game. <laughs> <laughs> That's about the extent of their knowledge. Yeah. Oh, this is like, during a football we game. We thought it was okay. rugby sevens. Wait, oh, is okay. UNLV playing? Yeah. Oh, no, they're not. Okay. They said right. unlove. We, they were very confused. <laughs> is, uh, so the Jab- Jabberwockies aren't on the show then? They are not on the show. We what, don't think so. What is on the show? We do have an open block, though. Is this. Answer this question, yeah. Matt Townsend. Yeah, yeah. BYU went without another player drafted into the NBA. So... Is that a big deal to you? Why is it important for BYU basketball to produce NBA draft picks, or is mm. it in today's culture? Yeah, it and is. The climate of the NBA draft. It's how you draft, and then that's how you get money. Nailed it. Bing, bing. Plus, See? Michael Smith, the L.A. Clippers analyst, former BYU great. He was drafted 13th overall. He was drafted. He will join us to discuss our fantasy draft yesterday, which did not include said Michael Smith from me. He played European basketball with Magic Johnson and Larry Bird. Holy cow. Cool, right? Uh His daughter's actually on our crew. She's Uh a student. That's cool. Um, So, yeah, we have the hookups on that one. And then Jack DeMooney, one of the biggest personalities of BYU football. He will will blow you away with his energy. Sweet. (laughs) So you're going to have an energy. You're going to be re-energized when he comes on. We're high energy anyway. No, you are, but it, it seems like you guys start to fade. <laughs> it goes through the roof when Jack Mooney <laughs> comes in Studio B. That's cool. You guys are good. This is going to be great. You got great stuff. And again, we'll have the dance-off, a little Gene Kelly um, tribute as well next time on the show. We'll see about that. Yeah. Yeah, we'll look into that. Yeah, look into that. Have in the West people. End town and the dead end world. The East End boys and the West End girls. Yeah. <laughs> wow. We appreciate that from the pet shop, boys. <laughs> Have a great show, gentlemen. Thank you. Knock See ya. See you later. Knock him dead. That is good singing. And out of nowhere. And, 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 and he knew the words. I think uh, Jeremy maybe didn't at first, but you know, once we straightened it out, man, Spencer took off. Tribute to the 80s and the pet shop boys. You only get that on the Matt Townsend Show uh, when we merge and partner for five minutes with BYU Sports Nation. I'm telling you, that's good living right there. Hey, I got uh, a story I got to get to finally. Man, I've been waiting to tell you this one forever. Uh, Delta, uh, um, Delta Airlines, interesting little moment for a guy named Steven Schneider of Lawrenceville, Georgia. He got on a flight um, Tuesday night, and he was the only passenger on the flight. One guy. Steven Schneider. He's waiting out there and waiting. Nobody was gathering. No passengers were there. No one was waiting around for the gate. And the reason was because the flight um, had been delayed and delayed and delayed. So the plane came in so late that many of the other passengers ended up, you know, staying in hotel rooms or uh, going on other flights that were earlier, finding other ways out of the airport, except not Steven Schneider. He shows up and he boards. They came up to him and said, look, you know, you will be the only guy on the flight. Are you OK with that? And he felt bad at first. But, you know, he didn't want him to make a trip because of him. So what do you do when you're the only guy on the airplane? It's 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 a hard thing, isn't it? You play tennis. When in doubt, you pull your racket out. Give another racket to one of the flight attendants. You start playing tennis. 
What is this, Ben? Lifting some weights. Oh, he's working out. These are all ideas for what you can do if you're ever on an airplane by yourself. What is that? Just fencing. Who's he fencing? A flight attendant? Of course. They keep... Interesting. They keep I'm glad we got this video. I can't see the monitor, so it's hard. To, I can only hear it. And then what do you do as a pilot? Do you, do you still point out, if you look out the left window, you can see the Grand Canyon? I think you just give up. Play video games, though. Yeah, That's I mean, just switch it on autopilot. And then wouldn't the lady just keep bothering you? Sir, do you want some peanuts? No, I'm good. I'll just, I'm good. Uh, pretzels, sir? Uh, no, no thanks. I just want, just want to take a little nap here. Um, can I have, you want anything from the beverage cart? No, I'm good. I'm good. Uh, sir, I'm going to need you to take your seat. <laughs> yeah. The uh, fasten your seatbelt sign is on. Can you please sit down? Man, you can't get away with any. Uh, is your phone on? Okay, you'll need to turn that off. That's hard. It's hard. Hey, as you know, we always like to end the show with a hero story. And the hero is a very simple story of a mother who's watching out for her son. In Colorado, they've been having more and more trouble with you know, people and human, human wildlife encounters where the people are just getting into the areas where the wildlife live. Well, some mountain lions have been attacking people, I guess, over the last uh, little while. But one attack was of a five-year-old boy, and a mother had to basically rip her son from the paws and jaws of a mountain lion. And the mother did it. She stopped this mountain lion attack pretty much single-handedly and saved her son's life. Um, and uh, the child was then taken with some deep cuts, but not life-threatening cuts to his head, face, and neck. And the mother obviously had some scratches and bites as well. So she's the hero of the day on the Matt Townsend Show, which, you know, most parents would just jump in anyway, right? Take care of their child. But it's another thing to actually do it. So we just want to hold her up as a hero. Folks, that's the show. We're done. The week is done for us. We'll be back Monday. More ideas, more tools to help you see the good in the world. Stick with us. Make it a great one. And let's look after each other. We'll talk again Monday. Until then, take care of each other.